Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Side you're on. I'm not touching. You're so annoying. Get off me. Hey, girls, please, can you come on. Off Here, me? just watch something or play a game. I'm hungry. Your sign is up there. On or off? You've got the iPad? Yeah, I like mine. Daddy downloaded some movies for you. Make sure you clean that up. Just take a picture. Who's that? That's Grandma and Grandpa. I miss her. Oh, Dad, I ironed your shirt for you. Thank you. Would you like me to help you pack this stuff away? No. Dad. Girls, come on, let's go downstairs and watch something. Grandpa needs some quiet. We'll just be in the kitchen. Everybody else in the golf course feels the same. They're just so Uh good. Thanks. A U G H T. Girls, you really need to go to sleep. You just woke us up. If you wake us up before 6 o'clock, I'm opening all the presents. Isabel, it's too early. It's for all of you. Aha, uh-huh, girls. You're just tapping. What is this? Manifold. Oh, oh, look at your hair. <laughs> hey, this is how you do it. Why did you do this? You two beauties. Clyde. Oh, no. Mom, Dad. You are pretty perfect. You are. See, number one, the best. Absolutely brilliant, both of you. Thank you. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 29th of November, year of our Lord, 2019, day after Thanksgiving. And, uh, yeah, Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving out there. I apologize for not getting the Thanksgiving one done. Uh, just didn't work out. My Wednesday was 
pretty busy. I was trying to help the wife, so I prepped a lot of stuff for Thanksgiving and did the house overhaul because we had company coming over, and, you know, I just ran out of time. So for that, I apologize. But I wanted to start this show with, you know, what what I said was going to happen. The liberals just had to shit on Thanksgiving, and surprisingly, what you heard on that intro is Apple. Let me get the cigar lit. That's an Apple commercial, which blew me away, because it's Apple. You, you figured it had to be four gay people or a person of color or something, but nope. It was a beautiful commercial that I literally saw Thanksgiving morning. I had taped the um, SNL Christmas thing, <clears throat> and so our SNL Thanksgiving special, and I decided to watch it, which I rarely do, because it's all repeats, and this commercial came up, I literally wept, I mean, I got tears in my eyes, that was just a beautiful commercial, Uh, anybody who's been married a long time or getting old like I am, you know, you see commercials like that, and it's like, holy shit, what am I going to do if the wife is gone, Uh, you know, it it would suck, so that was a great commercial. But as you can hear in the background, we have, you know, people talking, we're in the reverie, there's a soft music playing in the background. That's what most of us did for Thanksgiving. But not liberals. Oh, fuck that. Fuck that. I have a Thanksgiving feast of let's shit on Thanksgiving. Yes, because we're liberals and we lost an election. It starts with Barack Hussein Obama. Before arguing with friends or family around the Thanksgiving table, take a look at the science behind arguing better. And it'll never hurt to try this. Listen to people. Get them to think about their own experience and highlight your common humanity. Eight years of elections have consequences. They're going to run you into the ditch. Those bitter clingers. And that's what he says. Maybe in his retirement age now, he's forgetting. He started this goat fuck. And oh, it was. New York Times. I could find some opinion on what meals are the best or what, what dishes are the best, what aren't, and how to cook the proper turkey. But it was more of this. Make room at the table for difficult people. I'm starting off slow. I, I, I want you to be able to not explode right in the beginning of the podcast because Charles Blow that race hustling piece of shit good freaking lord our son makes the holiday challenging but I treasure every moment of grace and connection our 37 year old son with autism says to me anxiously on the telephone shit you on Thanksgiving no I say soon you will use your coping skills I try to change the subject to pumpkin pie and stuffing but persist to recounts his chanting monotone November 13 2011 I threw a chair through the window on Thanksgiving the police came and it goes on to basically say mentally ill alcohol drug addict extremely different many have members with serious health problems and Thanksgiving isn't that good because it's really hard for people that was the first one. Then we segue into, your angry uncle wants to talk about politics. What do you do? Dr. Tamirius is a former psychiatrist 
and the founder of the Smart Politics, Dr. Camp, is a conflict resolution specialist. There's nothing like a constitutional crisis to spite up, spice up a national holiday. Which, by the way, they didn't let it go. No, no. Mm-mm. You got checklists coming out. As Americans gather for our annual Thanksgiving feast, many are shaping their rhetorical knives while others are preparing to bury their heads in the mashed potatoes. The dueling impulses to fight or flee discuss of impeachment are understandable, especially if your family differ over politics. But this debate is too important to settle with a food fight or sweep under the rug. As citizens, we have an obligation to render a decision in accordance with our highest democratic values, not our basest tribal instincts. And our combined years of experience helping people talk about difficult political issues from abortion to gun to race, we found most can converse productively without sacrificing their beliefs or spoiling dinner. It's not merely possible to preserve your relationship while talking with folks you disagree with, but engaging respectively, you actually make you, will actually make you a more powerful advocate. The key to persuasive political dialogue is creating a safe and welcoming space. It's all about spaces with diverse views. With a compassionate spirit, active listening, and personal storytelling. That's all liberal talking points. To help you cook up a holiday impeachment conversation your whole family and country will appreciate, here's the angry uncle bot to practice. Angry uncle. And he's a conservative. And they had him say all pro-Trump stuff, and you get a knock it down. But that's the great lady. They're objective. They're a news source. News source. And as you can see, they, it, it, it's our job as citizens to impeach Trump. That's what they're saying. But then Charles Blow comes in. The horrible history of Thanksgiving. Before you fill your plate, please remember why we mark this day. When I was a child, Thanksgiving was simple. It's about turkey and dressing, love and laughter. A time for the family to gather around a feast, to be thankful for the year that had passed, to be hopeful for the year to come. In school, the story we learned was simple too. Pilgrims and Native Americans came together to give thanks. We made pictures of gatherings, everyone smiling. We colored turkeys and made them out of construction paper. We sometimes had a mini feast in class. I thought it was such a beautiful story. People reaching across race and culture to share with one another. To commune like one another. But this is not the story of Thanksgiving. So many American history, the story has had its least attractive features. When away, away, white people have been center of the narrative. So let's correct that. That is widely viewed as the first Thanksgiving was a three-day feast which pilgrims had invited the local Wanapak people as a celebration of the harvest. About 90 came, almost twice the number of pilgrims. This is the first myth that the first Thanksgiving was dominated by pilgrims, not the American natives. And I'm not going to keep reading this. I just can't do it. It goes on and on. It's about genocide. We're horrible. Blah, blah, blah. Here's the ending. I spent most of my life believing a gauzy kindergarten version of Thanksgiving, thinking only a feast and family, turkey and dressing. I was blind, willfully ignorant, I suppose, to the bloodier side of the Thanksgiving story, to the more honest side of it. But I've come to believe that is how America would have it if it had its druthers. We would be blissfully blind, living in a soft world bleached of hard truth. I can no longer abide by that. But I could for eight years under Obama, where I didn't write this tripe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they were not done at the New York Times, because you cannot have a feast of Thanksgiving when there's a conservative in the White House. You can't do it. During the Bush years, it was the war and our bloody body count and all that stuff. And now it's why gratitude is wasted on Thanksgiving. 
This dick nozzle is David DeSteno, I think is how he says his name. As a psychologist, eh, shut the fuck up. Your bona fides are as a liberal. Given that you might expect me to think that Thanksgiving is one of the most important days of the year, after all, if there's a day on which the benefit of gratitudes are maximized, surely it's a nation's ho- national holiday set aside for purposes of expressing that emotion. But truth be told, gratitude is wasted on Thanksgiving. Don't get me wrong. I love the rhythm and rituals of the day as much as anyone. It's just that very thing that makes Thanksgiving so wonderful, the presence of family and friends, the time off from work, indulging in the extra serving of turkey, also make gratitude unnecessary. Consider that one of gratitude's central purposes is to help us form strong bonds with other people. Research by psychologist Sarah Algoi has shown that when we feel grateful for other people's thoughtfulness, we consider that they might be worth getting to know a little better. Gratitude pushes us to make a first step in forming relationships with new people. And once we know people better, continued feeling of gratitude strengthens our ties to them. Feeling grateful to one person for a favor also makes us more likely to pay forward, says another psychologist who's also a liberal. But as we sit around the Thanksgiving table with family and friends, we are not typically looking to seek out other people and form new relationships. On that day, we're already among those we hold dear. To be clear, I'm not saying that taking time to reflect on how show appreciation for the good in life isn't worthwhile. It's surely a noble act, but for a scientific perspective, where emotions exist to nudge our decisions and behaviors towards certain ends, the benefit that gratitude offers tend to be rendered irrelevant on the day it's most expressed. And it goes on to, yeah, yeah, we suck. Another one. The myth of Thanksgiving story and the lasting damage they imbue. This is from fucking Smithsonian. In truth... Massacres, disease, and American Indian tribal politics are what shape the Pilgrim Indian Alliance at the root of the holiday, and they break it down. Why did you become interested in the story? What are more important inaccuracies? How did the great dinner become a focal point of modern Thanksgiving? La, 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 America sucks. WAPO, who will not let democracy die in the dark, Decide they got to take their turn. A turkey on the table and an elephant in the room. Yes, we're going politics. That's the ground rules. Okay, maybe it's best not to talk about it. That's the ground rules that's long been established around sensitive family fault lines ahead of Thanksgiving celebration. This is not the time or place to confront your racist grandma or your drunk uncle to engage with your proselytizing cousin or scold your nosy auntie. But that we... But that was before the most shocking upset in the history of the U.S. presidential elections took place just 16 days before Thanksgiving in 2016. And now to many, the entirety of the current events, every controversial policy and jaw-dropping revelation feel just as personal and potentially explosive as the family drama we've been programmed to sidestep. Which is why on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, American University professor Laura Schwartz stood before a small gathering of people who showed up to the Great Hall of National United and Methodist Church in Northwest Washington for a public event titled How to Attain Harmony Over the Holidays. Then they go on to say how horrible it is and how we need to teach and Brett Kavanaugh my God, our parents are stupid and we shouldn't fucking put up with this shit. Why do these people get a vote? They don't agree with us. I'm not reading any of the other ones. Once they saw the New York Times go crazy, they went crazy. 
the Atlantic. To talk politics in this age is to talk Donald Trump, writes D. Ibram. And to talk Donald Trump on this Thanksgiving is to talk impeachment. Between bats of ham, he is always liable to say it. The New York Knicks will never, ever win the NBA championship. My Uncle Jam seemingly every year, mouthful at the Thanksgiving table. The last time the Knicks were a professional basketball championship in 1973, nine years before my birth. I'm a resolute Knicks fan and a vegan. Uncle despises both. So if the Knicks win the championship, will you become a vegan? Them boys will never win. I laughed. La, la, la. Moving along. Some 48% of American adults support impeachment. A removal of roughly 44 oppose it. The divide cuts us most sharply along gender, party, age, and racial lines. One poll found that 8 in 10 Democrats support impeaching or removing the president, but that about 8 in 10 of Republicans oppose it. Among women, 56% support impeaching. Blah, blah, blah. Liberal poll. We have other ones that show it's not the truth, but whatever. And he just goes on to the same shit. Even before the public hearing, 62% of voters said they were not changing their mind on impeachment. But this is when we should. How, and how can we forget the victims of Trumpism and avoiding our relatives? We're ignoring the harm of Trump. At the same time, we claim to oppose Trump. At the same time, we claim to support equity and justice. In keeping the peace with our relatives, we are prolonging the war against everything and everyone we claim to hold dear. The very democracy is at stake. But attacking our relatives, Trump's stories at every turn is not the answer, even if that's what Trump does against the stories of truth. When we lecture down the relatives about everything that is wrong with them, Trump operatives are enticing them by saying there's nothing wrong with them. Oh, the Trump operatives. All one channel. Moving along. It is impossible to reconcile truth and Trump, but it is possible to reconcile the consumer of truth and Trump. It is possible to liberate our relatives from their abusive relationship with Trump. Alternately, real, alternate reality, we always is the victim and they're always his defender. It's a long shot like the Knicks winning the NBA championship one day, like Unk becoming a vegan one day. But either we are serious about bringing Americans together or we are not. And if we are, then it starts their family. It starts with us. It can start on Thanksgiving. Gotta talk that one for a second. Together. So together is we are you. See, that's what I keep saying on the show. For conservatives, we have policies. We accept that people aren't going to believe with every policy, every belief, believe in a God, all that stuff. Our This is America is a beautiful HuffPo article about Christians and how shitty we are. But I don't expect anybody who listens to this podcast to become an automaton robot and just believe everything that comes out of my fucking mouth. That's not what America's based on, for fuck's sake. But that's how he ends it. And we're going to bring America together to be liberals and impeach that son of a bitch, motherfucker, as their politicians say. We got to ruin the holidays. If you're not ruining the holidays, you're a piece of shit. That is the same spin on the article they did and the article fucking every network did that year. That it's your civic duty to tell people Trump's a piece of shit. Next one. A conglomerate. Media checker Thanksgiving privileges tout day of mourning. 
It's that time of year again when the cold, bitter truth about our wretched Thanksgiving holiday must be brought to the surface. Rather than let today's Americans celebrate a date of gratitude for a blessing lot in life in this successful multicultural country, we must fixate on North, North America's first bloody instance of identity politics. Both CNN and The New Yorker recount the actual histories of peaceful and adept Wanapog Indians and their dealing with the European pilgrims during the first Thanksgiving. Of course, the story that the natives came to the pilgrims of Massachusetts bearing gifts, local cuisine, and sitting down for a shared meal and friendship is one big fat invention. Instead of the day of Thanksgiving, the media today remind us that it's a day of mourning for Native Americans. The New Yorker did some heavy historical lifting to remind white European Americans just how much their hallowed creation stories or lies meant to distract them from what this country is, a place of racial injustice that was founded on racial injustice. During America's Civil War era, American mythmakers discovered that the pilgrims in New England as a whole were perfectly cast as a national founders, white, Protestant, democratic, and blessed with an American character. Thus, the story was born to serve white megalomania for centuries to come. The outlet claimed glorifying the endurance of white pilgrim founder diverted attention from the brutality of Jim Crow and racial violence and downplayed the foundational role of slavery. Mm-hmm. Nothing goes good better with a nice slice of turkey than a big pie full of, you're racist! The piece clarified the savage truth behind this myth. The Thanksgiving stories buries the major cause of King Philip's War, the relentless seizure of Indian land. It also covers up the consequences. Oh, yes. And we've been told time and time again, much raping and pillaging happened. It even threw in the idea that the fabled meeting between both Wampahongs and Pilgrims happened because the cautious Indians were perturbed by the settlers having a good old time shooting guns, those goddamn rednecks. It was a party, not a prayer. It was full of people shooting at things. Even CNN's Victor Blackwell had to start his Thanksgiving coverage by mentioning the day of mourning. The alternative Thanksgiving, where the last few Wampanoags living in Massachusetts remember they were robbed and are still waiting for justice for the wanton destruction of their tribe. The Sunday segment featured current Mashapee Winnipegian tribe chairman Cedric Cromwell blasting Pilgrim Indian solidarity as a myth and reiterating that the natives went to see the Pilgrims because they were shooting guns and practicing their arms. He clarifies they're preparing for some kind of war to take our people down. Hmm, doesn't that sound aggressively suspicious on the natives' part? And so we sat down with them to have a discussion. There led a feast. Cromwell added, you mean to say they were there to check our privilege? Tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. But CNN predominantly stuck with, let's get smart for impeachment for Thanksgiving dinner. Happy Thanksgiving. You probably don't want to talk politics to your Uncle Al, but it's going to come up. CNN poll this week found that about 4 in 10 Americans are paying very close attention to the impeachment proceeding, but almost everyone has an opinion on it. Here's what you need to know. Is Trump going to get impeached? Fuck yeah, he's jackass. When is Trump going to be impeached? They're going to vote by Christmas. How close will the impeachment vote be? 233 Democrats to 197 Republicans with one independent. So Democrats can lose 18 of their own members and still have a vote to impeach. What happens if he is impeached? They talk about the Senate. 
that it's not going to happen. If Democrats have zero chance of removing Trump from office, why would they impeach him? That's a great question. There's a number of answers. First, it's clear that the base of the Democratic voters is pretty insistent that the party do this. Democrats want these voters to show up in November. I want to record that the House of Representatives did their job. They told the president, the president coming behind him, that it's unacceptable behavior under the Constitution, said Brenda Lawrence. Six, what exactly did Trump do that was so bad? They spin it nothing, basically. Why should Americans care about Ukraine? What's Trump's problem with Ukraine? What about quid pro quo? How did this all come out? What happens to the hearing? Twelve, who hasn't testified? They do a list of people that didn't get in there that could be the smoking gun because we're still talking about guns that ain't smoking. Thirteen, what is Trump's defense? He didn't do it. Now Trump dismisses it as a hoax. The president has invited foreign powers to interfere in the U.S. president's election. He invited foreign powers by saying, hey, Russia, can you give me those 30,000 fucking emails as a joke? That's, that's what he did. But my favorite from CNN. An obituary for a Thanksgiving turkey. I am fucking not making that up. Somewhere in California, because it's tomorrow morning, and my bro Matt's going to be driving back home from having his good old time out there in the dunes with his Bronco. Don't steer off the road laughing. That That's a real fucking thing, bro. I probably should have prepped it because you're probably already in the ditch. For fuck's sake. Scotty Andrew, can these fucking people ever find a pair of balls? I mean, I got prostatitis. I still got my balls. They hurt, but everything hurts down there. But you know what? God damn, man. It's a fucking turkey. By the way, before I start this, if you hear like a, a, a whirring sound, I got the wood stove crank. It's like uh, six feet from me. So yeah, I'll be sweating the shit. I just got one one load in there, a couple extra kind of wore up the base of it because it's like 40 degrees and raining. <laughs> and I was freezing my ass off in the... Uh, heater I have down here it takes a while. It's an oil heater. Um, but anyway, let's do our obituary. <clears throat> I should change the backdrops to tiny, tiny violins playing. Your Thanksgiving turkey, the prince of poultry, the darling of dinner tables, and the centerpiece of your holiday spread has died, obviously. It was a probably about four months old. It left behind drumsticks, giblets, gizzards, and was preceded in death by untold numbers of other turkeys extinguished in the long-held tradition of holiday carnivorousness. Yeah, he said that. I, I bet you this motherfucker is a guy who had a kale turkey. Um, because, you know, let's be honest, having a tofu turkey is so early 2000s. I had to do it for my daughter once. <clears throat> you, your turkey shuffled off this foul coal before it had it to witness the president, formerly pardoned bread and butter, a pair who will now live out their days in Virginia Tech's gobbler rest retirement pen for very important turkeys. Your turkey did not enjoy the fleeting national fame or overnight luxury hotel stay that a presidential pardon provides. Your turkey probably didn't even have an unimaginative food-inspired name and may not have had a name at all. <clears throat> But your turkey almost certainly did not die alone. The average turkey farmer in Minnesota, the top turkey producer in the U.S., you Minnesotans, raises three flocks a year with 15,000 bird in each flock. 
In its free time, your turkey may have been a music enthusiast, or it could have been deeply aggressive like its wild brethren who regularly terrorize neighborhoods and have been known to attack cars with especially reflective surfaces. Your turkey didn't live long, but to take a heart knowing the wild ones don't live long either. Four years is the older end of a wild turkey's lifespan. Hopefully yours enjoyed whatever time it had on this earth. Your turkey was born into a world determined to devour it. If your turkey had not been reared on a turkey farm, it would have thwarted hunters and spar with fellow birds for resources. Regardless, it would meet its met of regardless of what end it met, your turkey was likely destined for a brief life. Your turkey might be in your fridge or freezer on the aisle of your grocery store if you wait this long to purchase it. Its cavernous chest will soon be home to chicken stuffed duck or shredded loaves of bread tossed with more turkey. Your turkey, whether fried, brine, or roasted, will hold court at the center of a table full of family and friends. Your turkey might even kindle great joy and fuller tummies as an entree than it would have in life. Liberals ruin everything they just ruin everything everything chicago tribune calling us how to mock your crazy trump loving family members this thanksgiving from the opening line hupke recommends carrying around a trump fan word catcher paper bag to dupe your family members spewing fox fox news nonsense he argues that this infomercial-esque product has just invented will get some rubes to shut up all you have to do is convince these idiots to go outside and praise Trump into the paper bag, and Hupke will mail it to President Trump himself. Aren't you just a cutie patootie? I'm not reading the rest of this fucking article. Turkey Days. Media says weed will help dealing with conservative relatives and Thanksgiving. The Daily Beast. Get stoned. Yeah. Time Magazine. As evidence grows that eating less meat can help curb the effect of climate change, more and more Americans are preparing meat-free holiday meals for the first time. And nobody went to their house. Mm-hmm. Really, dude. Yeah, they had to do the climate change. You knew what was coming. Heather Ward, blue check liberal. Thanksgiving rules. Before you talk to me about impeachment, you must tell me what you did to get Democrats elected in 2018. If you talk to me about primary, you must commit to multiple voter contact shifts in 2020. Jonah Gogberl, Thanksgiving rules. Give thanks for being in such a wonderful country with dear family and friends around the table. You can't make too much gravy. Yeah, that's what normal people do. Uh, The AP, worried that impeachment talk could spoil Thanksgiving dinner? An etiquette coach suggests setting aside a room for such discussions and designate a calm relative as a moderator. Yeah. How about you shut the fuck up? We're not talking about politics. That's pretty simple. ACLU. Well, here's theirs. Some of our personal favorite Thanksgiving conversation starters. My pronouns are firing people for being LGBT is illegal and Trump asked SCOTUS to change that. Who loved Pose Season 2? Please pass the pie and the Equality Act. Yeah. American Civil Liberties Union. You don't talk about concern. How about Christians being persecuted all over our country and having their beliefs legislated out? I don't see that from the ACLU. Rage Donkey. I will be changing my Wi-Fi password to impeach 45 this Thursday 
so that my mega family members have to put that in their devices to have some of my Wi-Fi. Jen Winston to show that uh, intersectionality makes you a crude person. My mom, don't forget to pack something nice for Thanksgiving. She has labeled in her suitcase, vagina, decolonize your, your bookshelf, pro-black, brown, queer, trans, science, choice, and pro-ho. Yeah, ho. Aren't you nice? Yeah. Then I had the article, expert says, to give a safe space and have somebody to talk discuss. I'm not going to cover it because I got enough. I went to the root as Black Thanksgiving quickly approaches. I just want to say for a second, I'm, I know it's white Thanksgiving because it's more majority of the country's white, but Black Thanksgiving. Hmm. So they decided, because we're all stupid... As Black Thanksgiving quickly approaches, it may be necessary for some people who are unfamiliar with this holiday to understand the black genealogy. In black culture, the family dynamic is not dictated by genetics, DNA, or blood. Instead, much like race, family is a social construct. Really. But then why do you say white people are all racist if it's just a social construct? Socially, white people are racist? Okay. Mm -hmm. So they broke it down. Number 10's pastors, nephews, nieces, sisters and brothers are 8, play cousins 7, siblings 6, uncles 5, aunts 4, cousins 3, mama and daddies 2, and grandma and granddaddies are number 1 in the black Thanksgiving. Alright. And in one of the lines, grandfathers no shit. And then I think, I think, is this the last one? Oh, let me see. I don't think it is the last one. I'm not going to read it. I'm really long on this. You're probably bored to death. There was a um, uh, right one, How to Talk to Your Left-Wing Niece About Thanksgiving by Michael Knowles. Look it up on Daily Wire. It's a good one. I'm not going to read it because this is like 30 minutes of this shit. The list of shame. Who are all the retail outlets open on Thanksgiving? I don't need a list for you. You already know. I think it's just ridiculous. Uh, the, the worst violator was... Let me see. Who was the... 2 p.m. J.C. Penney. 3 p.m. Old Navy. But then there was a list that... These are holiday and remain... These uh, On the flip side, here are the retail outlets to honor the Thanksgiving holiday and remain closed. And there was there was a lot more than usual. I, I was surprised with uh, Barnes & Noble, Academy Sports. Um, let me see. That doesn't surprise me. Nordstrom's, which I, I didn't see that. I thought Nordstrom's, you know, left coast thing would be out there. Um, REI, that surprised me. And uh, True Value. To prep us for Christmas, we'll end this segment and go to a music break. Millennials want to ban Secret Santa because it gives them anxiety. Not reading that article. But I will read um, this one, which is 
The Kelly Clarkson John Legend respond to Woke Baby It's Cold Outside Backlash. So to do that, we're going to play it. Cold outside. I've gotta go away. I can call you right. This evening has been I'm so glad that so you dropped in. Time spent with you is paradise. My mama will start to. I'll call the car and tell him to hurry. My daddy will be pacing the floor. Wait, what are you still living home? So for? really, I. Is Murray. Oh, we're both adults, so who's keeping score? Oh, I think they should rejoice. I have one more dream. It's your body and your choice. Your eyes are like starlight now. To go, go, go. So in an article with, well, let's just be honest. That is not even a nod at the original sound. That sounds like a dude's booting the bitch out. Anybody with me on that? I mean, it sounds like he's booting her out. Let me get your code. I called you an Uber. Get the fuck out, bitch. That's all I heard in that song. I did not hear anything remotely like it. He is saying, get out. So I understand the Me Too-isms and he wanted to bow and all that shit. But that, no, doesn't work. So speaking with Vanity Fair, Legend revealed earlier this month that with Natasha Rothwell rewrote the song to reflect a Me Too friendly and it's your body, it's your choice. He performed, then Kelly did. The new lyrics here, Kelly Clarkson saying, what will my friends think? And Lindsay replying, I think they would rejoice. Then saying, I, if I have one more drink, it's your body, it's your choice. Both Sharon Osbourne and Dean Martin's daughter, Dean Martin, blasted the song change as an unnecessary reworking. You do not need to change the lyrics to the song, Deanna Martin said. Good morning, Britain. He's made it more sexual with those words that he has just said. It's absolutely absurd. I think what he's done is he's stealing the thunder from Frank Lozer's song and from my dad. He should write his own song if he doesn't like this one. But don't change the lyric. It's a classic. It's a perfect song. Sharon Osbourne said, To change an innocent lyric to what is your mind and your body, what the hell are you on? That's ridiculous. I have to tell you, I love John Lennon. I love John Legend's wife. His family is an amazing artist What I really I, that I really respect. What do you? Why would you do this? 
Speaking with People, Legend said that the critics have read too much into the change. First of all, there's no side to be on. It's just another version of the song. If you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to. Whoa, time out, High Speed. Well, you guys are the ones freaking the fuck out about the original version. You didn't have to listen to it, which I would actually say over and over and over on the show, and I probably already have. You don't. You don't even believe in Christmas. You think it's a fucking waste of time. So why do you even care? But you're the people freaking out about this shit. Uh, No one's saying you have to listen to the old version. You can't listen to the old version. Those versions all exist. People make new versions of songs all the time. And we thought it'd be fun to update the song and make it more current. We wanted a comedic angle to it, so I asked Natasha Rothwell from Insecure to co-write. She came up with some many funny ideas. We used much of it, and I made a brand new version. Speaking with Chrissy Teigen, Clarkson said that they simply wanted to make a new rendition of the song and were not offended by the original version. Both John and I have actually cut Baby It's Cold Outside, the original. We liked the original, but we noticed a lot of people didn't. We were like, let's just give them another option. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chrissy Teigen, however, suggested the original song had date rape connotations. Well, then Shannon assumed you guys like burn them all in the backyard or something and that they can never listen to the original again. If I can't have my creepy song, it's not Christmas. I want date rapey songs. I that's it. I'm done. They just they fucking ruin everything. Can somebody just get with these jackasses for like fifteen minutes and just go take a goddamn riddlin? You ruin everything. It's just fu- I don't understand it. For Christ's sake, it's a cute song, but you got to fuck it up. Thanksgiving's about eating. Okay, if you don't like turkey, you don't eat a turkey. Nobody says you have to have turkey. Hell, where I live, there's as many fucking hams in the freezer section as there are turkeys. So my assumption is there's a lot of motherfuckers eating ham. Do you, bro? But stop shitting on everybody else. So going to go to a music break. We're going to come into impeachment. It's still going on. Nice soundbite. Um, it's, well, it's not as long as the usual ones. I saved a lot of for the tweets of the day today. We're going to do tweets of the day. Um, but as you hear this, just remember, it's 75 hours of impeachment. Under Clinton, there was barely anything. And we'll, we'll do that first after the sound effect, but break it down further. It's just unbelievable how much impeachment they did. But this song I'm going to play is my favorite version. I got lucky. The better the better half was driving with me. And she finally took a picture of the song. This is a 1941 uh, version of Meet Me Under the Mistletoe. And we used to have a tradition where we hung mistletoe underneath the doorway <coughs> in our bedroom. And we would kiss under it before we went to bed. That was our goodnight kiss. But the wife's not a Christmas person. And it can be quite honest. She's bah humbugging the fuck out of the holidays. So I didn't hang it this year, but usually we do it. And I always wanted to play this song, but I can never find it. So here is the version of Meet Me Under the Mistletoe. And before I fuck up like I always do, let's get the right guy. Um, I suck because I didn't write it down. So I'm going to go back into my history. Dick Robertson from 1941, Meet Me Under the Mistletoe. As stated, we'll go straight in. To impeachment. Meet 
meet me under the mistletoe While the world is all aglow And we'll share a merry Christmas Making dreams come true Meet me under the mistletoe As you did a year ago Santa Claus came down the chimney And he brought me you Oh, the sleigh bells ring so merrily And you kissed me there and then While the children sang neath the Christmas tree Peace on earth, goodwill to men So meet me under the mistletoe And before I let you go I'll give you my heart for Christmas Under the mistletoe Children sang neath the Christmas tree. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Meet me under the mistletoe. And before I let you go, I'll give you my heart for Christmas under the mistletoe. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Paul Carroll, let's just imagine for a moment the, the, the facts in this matter. Let's just imagine that world. Uh, you're a lawyer trying this case, and you discover that, that your client here uh, you know, only acted after he learned this new information. Uh, and that you know, when you put two and two together here, how would you present that case to a jury? Let's say somebody, you were representing somebody who planned a bank robbery. And there was lots of evidence. There were meetings about the bank robbery, mm-hmm. discussions about how the bank would be robbed. Over the course and of weeks then, and then, when the guy organizing the bank robbery becomes aware that there's a wiretap in place and they're on to him, mm-hmm. i.e., in this case, the whistleblower report, because the president in mid-August became aware that the whistleblower was making a claim that military aid to Ukraine was being held up. The next thing out of the president's mouth in early September to his ambassador, Sondland, is there's no quid pro quo. That's like the bank robbers saying, we're not going to rob a bank. Okay, guys, we're going to go on a picnic on the day of the bank robbery. It's a consciousness of guilt. Imagining we lived in a world where, where the facts of this. Nine witnesses, 30 plus hours of testimony. We know the president believed Ukraine was corrupt, especially out to get him. And he empowered his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, to figure out if it was true and to help him out also with a look into the Bidens. The question now is, what does it mean? What should be the consequence? Well, to hear it from the diplomats and the Democrats, the situation amounts to a bribery scheme. All of it to help Trump more than to help this country. 
The Intel chair calls it worse than Watergate. What we've seen here is far more serious than a third-rate burglary of the Democratic headquarters. What we're talking about here is the withholding of recognition in that White House meeting, the withholding of military aid to an ally at war. That is beyond anything Nixon did. So why aren't Republicans reeling right now? The difference between then and now is not the difference between Nixon and Trump. It's the difference between that Congress and this one. We have never seen the party of the president to be more partisan in a process like this than we're seeing right now. And it was eventually a GOP delegation that went to the White House to tell Nixon it was over. Next day, he resigned. Clinton, too, dealt with party uh, with people in his party that he was in disfavor with. After reading the Star Report, 31 Democrats, 31, crossed the aisle and voted in favor of setting up an impeachment process. What's more, five Democratic House members actually voted to impeach him. And what Nixon and Clinton were accused of was certainly nothing on the order of the scheme that's been outlined here. Supporters are loud and proud, defiant in the face of fact, operating exclusively as defense counsel for the president in a manner that we've never seen. There could be no question that Republicans are ignoring the facts for favor. You can own what is obvious here and still argue that the consequence of impeachment, let alone removal, is too severe. You may not like that argument, but it can be argued in good conscience. Ignoring facts, facilitating conspiracy theories about Ukraine interference, that cannot be done. Um, what do you expect to happen from here, Chuck? For the American people watching this, taking it in, what are the yeah. next steps? Well, it looks that the Democrats have decided they've, they've done as much in the public hearing aspect as they can do within a reasonable period of time. I guess is the way to put it. And, and, and you brought up all these witnesses that we haven't heard from. Uh, and I think they would argue it's going to take too long to hear from them. And, and, and timeliness here matters, too. So it means that we would likely, after Thanksgiving, see about a week or two of hearings in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, maybe one of them would be public. Then you would see the indictment, which is also known as an article of impeachment, setting up a Senate trial in January. But I think uh, Democrats have to ask themselves with all of the, on one hand, I think the hearings were very successful, both in revealing that there's a lot more we don't know. Um, they've proven quite a bit. Uh, and maybe in a court of law, they could win that case. But they still have a political uh, bar that they haven't met yet and a political argument that they, w that they might be able to win if people like Bolton testify. So I think it's a dilemma that they're facing here. They haven't met the political bar yet. Right. We can see it in the polls. Yeah. They may have met a legal bar. So what do you do right now? I think they've decided to move forward with the process. Uh, it's an interesting. Why is it that support for impeachment is going down for Americans and Trump's approval ratings? I can't even say it makes me nauseous are going up. <laughs> what polls. is it that they like about him? Is it the fact that there are still what, 4000 kids still at the border in custody or that he trashes veterans or that he makes deals with Russians, that he handed them the Middle East over to Russia? What is it that they like about him? 
Democrats have played their cards completely wrong here from the beginning. I mean, we've been talking about impeachment since he came into office, right? I think people, I talk to people all the time. They say, let me know when it's serious enough, when something's actually going to happen. Until then, I'm tuned out. I'm not paying attention. So, look, we watch this stuff because we're fascinated by it. We love politics. But I don't think people are sitting in front of their TV screens all day long. These hearings are long. A lot of them are boring. I thought Sondland's, Sondland's opening testimony was the most interesting part that we've seen so far. Maybe he's people are watching this religiously. Puffy outfit, like, uh, well, what's his name? Uh, Spicer on yeah, Sean Spicer. You know, I guess, I guess if, it's, everybody if, if it's not important enough <laughs> to Americans that you have a president who bribes another country for his own personal political interests and believes he is above the law, then yeah. I guess nothing is important enough. Because if you don't stop him now, where will he go? Well, from there? if he, if he, where right. will he go? now one thing we asked the diners was about was their opinion of the impeachment saga and almost to a person republicans independents and democrats told us they're not quite sure where it's headed but we're more interested in other issues that impact our everyday lives. Those folks in Bakersfield there at dinner even said they think this process is merely exposing the hypocrisy on both sides. Democrats did this, or Republicans did it to a Democrat years ago, now it's Democrats doing it to a Republican president. Yeah. We'll see. But it doesn't come up in conversation unless you ask. Well, that's very interesting. And when the candidates are out there campaigning, as you've seen, they don't bring it up often No voters. Right, yeah. because the voters don't bring it up. They want no. about health care, education. What are you going to do yeah. for me? So it's not, How a, are it's you not a winning right? issue, it doesn't look like. No. Yeah. And you're always traveling and, and covering the debates and whatnot. Were you surprised by anything that you heard? Uh, that impeachment wasn't coming up. Yeah. Um, and that even uh, some of those Republicans admit climate change is an issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and how little people know about their local officials. Mm. This is a country that's become quite nationalized in its politics. You ask them about their local congressmen, they can't tell you much about them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. They're still gnashing teeth. Network spends 75 hours on impeachment, barely bothered during Clinton years. NBC, CBS, ABC have donated 75 hours of free airtime for Democrats' impeachment hearing, despite notably poor and consistently shrinking ratings. Yet during President Clinton's impeachment, these same networks could not be bothered to carry more than a few hours of independent counsel Ken Starr's one-day presentation of evidence. NBC live coverage during the hearing amounted to a whopping 92%. 1,653 minutes, or 27.5 hours, of the total 30 hours of testimony. CBS ran special coverage for 84% of the hearing, 1,500, or 25 hours. This is go to fucking hours. While ABC did 22 hours. By contrast, in November 1998, NBC aired a paltry 12.5 hours of testimony. CBS did... 314 minutes, and ABC did 272 minutes. That was it. And in those, because I was alive and I saw it, it pretty much just said, hey, this isn't going to work. It's not going to go through the fucking Senate. Republicans are going to get pounded. They're going to lose the fucking House. It's going to go to hell. La, 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 la. And they prepped for the midterms. That's what they did. And it worked. Because they did lose it. And some of the statistics are starting to show, whoa, maybe it is deja vu. But first, here's some impeachment fail 
a couple people got on the air and said, yeah, this didn't go so good. The fact is, I think that this is the well, certainly the shortest investigation. It's certainly the thinnest evidentiary record, and it's the narrowest impeachment ever to go to the Senate if they were to go on this record. Why don't they have a case? Well, because the question is, do they, did they prove something was contemptible or impeachable? Contemptible is not synonymous with impeachable. The president does set policy. They have three conversations, two of them directly, one with Senator Johnson, one with Ambassador Sundlin, where Trump denies a quid pro quo. So you have a conflicted record. And the question is, what do you need to remove a sitting president? Whether this is intentional or not, it seems designed to fail in the Senate. I don't think you could prove uh, a removable uh, um, offense of a president on this record, even if the Democrats were in control. This thing is too narrow. Uh, it is. It doesn't have a broad foundation, and it's an undeveloped record. There are a lot of core witnesses that were not called, and the question is why. They said we want to vote by December. You know, we want to vote before Santa. Why? And I got to tell you, I think that this could be at the trial that Trump wants, and they will. The first witness they call may be Hunter Biden. What's amazing about this, and I put it in the wrong spot, so let me find this, because this is just, this blew my fucking mind when I saw it. I know I reported it, but I, I once again, just am speechless. Brian York, from the Washington Post on January 20th, 2017, at 12.19 p.m., when Trump had been president for 19 minutes, the campaign to impeach President Trump has begun. That was Inauguration Day, boys and girls. That's why most Americans just aren't really surprised by any of this. They're not moved by it. Because they've been talking about this. We've had three other impeachment votes over a little shit. This was inevitable. Atlantic Magazine admits impeachment really about harming Trump. Assistant Editor Elaine Godfrey throws out a few obligatory civics lesson nods about the democratic process or seeking the truth, but she quickly gets to the heart of the matter in Friday's article, which concedes the brutal truth for liberals that Democrats know Trump isn't going anywhere. The public phase of the impeachment inquiry starting last week and continuing into one throng of people, young and old, mostly Democrats, have waited outside the room every day to try to get a seat to see the hearing in person. Many of them have traveled very long distance to watch the California Democrat and other lawmaker on the House and Intelligence Committee question a number of witnesses. Why were they there? Almost all of them use the phrase, democracy in action. Yeah, that has an official PR line for public consumption, but we soon find out the real motivation. The many voters I met outside the hearing room seem to acknowledge the likelihood that when all is done, Donald Trump will still be president. But they weren't exactly disappointed. Still, they still see impeachment, the whole process, as good for American democracy, and more important, good for the Democratic Party heading to election year. The focus right now isn't so much on removal itself, but more on the 2020 election, Mason Hill, a 22-year-old Washington, D.C. resident, said. It's to paint a picture of the president in the general public's eye. Across the country, Republicans and Democrats are dug in regarding the support of the opposition to impeachment, while more than 80% of Democrats support impeachment, just 10% of Republicans do. Most Americans do not expect the public hearing to change their minds about impeachment. According to a new NPR-PBS NewsHour poll, the voters I met recognize this. 
But over and over again, they told me the process isn't about peaching itself. It's about getting out the truth about Trump, about gathering all the possible ammunition to use against him in 2020. Democrats are hoping that undecided or unengaged voters will be persuaded by what they've learned and inspired to vote against Trump. But the problem is what happened in Clinton's era. Politico. Impeachment. A focus group fail with swing voters. The survey conducted by pro-Trump super PAC called America First Action, but they screened out all voters who were committed to voting either for or against Trump. Each of the focus groups held in Iowa, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Arizona, Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania included 10 to 12 registered voters with mixed educational and socioeconomic backgrounds. A group of Phoenix featured only suburban women. Well, separate groups in Orlando were limited to seniors and suburban men. 47% of participants voted Trump in 2016, while 49% supported his then-Democratic rival, Hillary Clinton. In a focus group deducted after the House Democrats took the impeachment inquiry public, participants were asked if they thought Trump should be impeached. Not a single person raised their hand. A political reporter viewed video clips and readouts that were selected from more than 30 hours of footage gathered their session, including some that contain anti-Trump comments for participants who are identified only by first names. Others described the impeachment process as a waste of time or too complicated to digest. If they were confident their eventual candidate could beat Trump in 2020, why would they be doing this year out from the 2020 election, Adam Kay said. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of stuff that I don't agree with about Trump, but at the same time, I feel as though as a Democratic Party, none of the people who are running are strong enough to take him on. That's the problem, Tasha L., a black person who voted for Clinton, said. Finally, we see what could be a warning to Democrats as to what the Trump strategy could be in 2020. Instead of making next year's election a personality contest, the presidential political teams plan to overwhelm critical swing voters and independents with information about both his accomplishments and the positions embraced by the field of Democrats. It's going to be substance over style, and we believe on the substance points, it's a clear winner, said somebody for the president. Hmm. I don't know. But this is this isn't good. Then you get in the next one. Vulnerable Democrats say they're being abandoned over impeachment. Uh, this one's from the Daily Wire. Politico reports that moderate and red state Democrats are particularly worried, especially with the news that GOP has purchased more than eight million dollars in ads during the Thanksgiving holiday targeted potential voters who weren't convinced by Schiff. The GOP. Just a second. Let me ask my cigar. Plans to air the ads in vulnerable districts with lots of independent and moderate Democrats, the same voters who have banned the Democratic Party to vote for Trump in 2012. They say, hey, what are you doing for us, DNC? New York Times swing state voters who went dim in 2018 are swinging back to Trump. Siena College and New York Times partnered on their poll, and it says these people aren't buying it, and they're going back towards Trump because it's the same thing we've been saying on the show. There's really nothing out there. None. So Trump tweets about this, New York Times. John Berman from CNN 
New poll undermines CNN poll. That support for impeachment is dropping. It is not. Trump is wrong. But that's your poll, dude. That's straight-ass damn. Of course, CNN viewers want them impeached. They, they watch your network. IT guys. The next one. The walls are closing in, except new Emerson poll finds Trump approval up five points. For support for impeachment has flipped from plus four to negative two. Perhaps most Americans think elected officials should set foreign policy versus career bureaucrats. John Cooper, blue check dim. Overheard two middle-aged guys who are pumping gas next to me just now. This was actually on this tweet. Okay, that's how I got it. Guy one, I'm fucking embarrassed that I voted for Trump. What a fucking traitor. Guy two, fuck all Republicans. Worthless pieces of shit. Jesse Kelly sums it up perfectly for me. I've been agonizing over this for a long time, and I still can't decide what my favorite Trump-era phenomenon is. Race hoaxes or clearly fake anti-Trump conversation with kids and strangers. The only conversations men have at gas stations. I'm going in. You want anything? Flaming Hot Cheetos and Budweiser. And he's right. What the fuck, man? I mean, everybody's got to come up with their fake story nowadays. Molly Hemingway, the data, along with supplementary interviews, illustrate an electorate that believes that impeachment inquiries connected to the priorities of politicians in the media, not of ordinary voters. From Vanity Fair, alas, for the Democrats, the promising numbers of late October and early November rapidly dissipated, and polling numbers have reverted to a level more consistent with long-term opinion on the President Trump. In the latest political morning consult poll, Released on November 19th, independents opposed impeachment and removal 46 to 39. As the calendar turns into 2020 and voters pay more attention to the candidates, the cost of obscuring any positive message will rise dramatically for Democrats. As Fiorina said to me, the voting public is still a lot of people who don't like Trump, who are still prepared to vote for him if Democrats don't nominate anyone reasonable she then said a cold chill ought to be running through legacy media at the sight of those numbers the complete disconnect between msm and the public is an entirely self-inflicted wound brought about by their own self-serving political activism and terrible betray of public trust and he's right yeah but what are they running Stories like this. Washington Post found a former State Department official who fears that if Trump is elected to a second term, he will be hell-bent on destruction of the civil service. Today, the focus of the White House is on weeding out civil servants and diplomats called before Congress. When the hearing shifted to public testimony, Trump and his allies took to Twitter to disparage them. Everywhere Maria Yanovich went turned bad, the president wrote. Uh, unfortunately, the impeachment will make the president hell-bent on destruction of civil service if he wins a second term, said one former State Department official. It's terrifying. Somebody said, it only sounds terrifying if you're part of civil service, really. Otherwise, it sounds like normal politics. And the reality is, under Democratic administrations, that's the first thing they do. They dump everybody. Because Trump wasn't 
in the establishment, wasn't part of the D.C., didn't have any D.C. people. He was more of an outsider than Obama claimed to be. He fucked up. This is how we have all these whistles and fucking uh, anonymous sources. He's got all these Obama legacy people, because after eight years, Obama weeded out anybody who was a Republican, and you're stuck with nothing but Dems, from the FBI heads to the CIA. It doesn't matter. They're all Democrats. That's why we have all this shit. Another Washington Post. Perspective. Democratic presidential candidates still can't figure out how to talk about the most popular figure in the party. Swear they lick, writes, and there's a simple reason. Barack Obama is a conservative. I didn't make that up. That's that's what they wrote. Barack Obama is a conservative. Sad for you, WAPO? Compared to current crop running for president from the Democratic Party, you'd be right. If that's your prism, you're spot on. They are extremists. Every one of them. Chuck Todd, as you heard in the sound bites, of course, he doesn't believe any of this shit. But this guy's not a conservative. He was on a show, and I love this pundit. But let me say this, Chuck. Um, I just have to start... I totally disagree with your lead-in to this whole show today. Okay. I, 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 I think the, the Washington punditry is somewhat in a bubble on this. I, I think the Democrats had a bad week Why uh, last week. And, Why is that? And, well, okay. For one thing, the polls are turning in the president's favor. You've got the Marquette poll mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, which is the gold standard of Wisconsin polls. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the Emerson poll, which is a, a nationwide poll which actually shows uh, Trump's favorability mm-hmm. going up. And, and I just think the people out there don't think this, is, this uh, investigation is fair. Uh, they know that only Democrat witnesses were uh, allowed to be called. None. You know, it, it sums up the difference in what you see on TV and what you see in the country. And I hate to go back to 2016 because, you know, it's it, it it's just, I'm so sick of 2016. I wish that year just didn't exist. But we talked about it on the show where I drove. I didn't see Clinton support. I saw Trump support. But if you watched your TV, once again, there was no way in hell Trump was winning. She was already making her cabinet out in the beginning of fucking October. I mean, it was over as far as they expected it. But right now, during impeachment, it's done, they say. And then they back up, and they don't want to digest this. Brian Seltzer, he's in such a tiff. I made a list to be a loyal Republican. Loyal to the president. You're supposed to believe that. And he wrote this stuff up, and he said, You sure it was you who wrote this and not the DNC? And this is what he wrote. The legal impeachment process is actually a legal coup. The probe of the Russian actually interference in 2016 was a deep state plot to sabotage Trump. With regards to the Russian cyber attack, it might have been a 400-pound guy sitting in their bed. When the DNC was hacked, it gave a server to a company owned by a very wealthy. The real scandal is Ukraine is guilty of meddling in 2016 to help Hillary. 
That's actually true. President Obama sent only pillows and sheets to aid in Ukraine. Ukraine is the third most corrupt country in the world. European countries refused to give aid to Ukraine. Adam Schiff made up a phone call. Then when it was released, everybody was embarrassed. That's true. He did it on the committee, Brian. Mary Yovanovitch wouldn't hang Trump's photo in the embassy. That's actually true. She wouldn't. So That's a journalist. Supposed to be a journalist. But we're making... List of what the president... Want to talk about loyalty test? Look at Obama. You know, we didn't have this, oh, he got rid of all these people shit. How many generals did he go through? Just as much as Trump? Obama was a purist. And if we really want to be honest about it, in the midterms, the massacre they took every fucking time because of Obama's blind eye... And the media's total sycophancy towards him. My God, folks. I mean, really break it down. It's scary. But every time it was, well, this is just normal. But when it swung in 2018, it was a landslide. It was a bloodbath. We weird all that shit. Just fucking crazy. So there's your impeachment. We're going to go into hate tweets and tweet of the day. We're going to start out with a nice, nice little soundbite and it's of course my better half got it for me i thought it was a re-gig of one of her other breakdowns but this is a new one lizza milano crying those sweet sweet tears of full outrage hate tweet of the day destroying children's lives because of fucking arbitrary lines in the sand and we can't let this be the new normal this is not what this besides what this country is founded on this is not innately who we are as human beings we've got to take inventory of this of what's happening and the humanitarian crisis at the border and we got- you know i would believe her outrage and her sadness if you actually cared in 2012 that's all i got to say it's fake you're an actress not a very good one but that's pretty good acting right there so then our big hate MSNBC contributor, Russia wanted Trump. Then right after she does it, the network says, yeah, no, they didn't. CNN, Trump is a cult leader and still whining about Katie Hill. Dr. Scuto, people who don't believe our bullshit have a psychosis. More Katie Hill whining. The worst one of all, ABC lies about McConnell's reaction to Ginsburg. She was sick. Behar with the left obsession with Facebook. Because Facebook won't do what YouTube, Google, and everybody else did, which is censor and only do political ads and anything for Democrats. They're, they're going full-fledged lib, libtard for the upcoming election. And she just can't have that. The goal of the Russians was really to put whoever became the president by trying to tip their hands on one side of the scale under a cloud. 
So if Secretary, former First Lady, former Senator Clinton had been elected as President, as indeed many expected uh, in the run-up uh, to the election um, in 2016, she too would have had major questions about her legitimacy. And I think that you know, what we're seeing here as a result of uh, all of these narratives is uh, this is exactly what the Russian government was hoping for. Has that not gotten enough attention? Because if that's the case, if Russia just wanted to sow chaos and doubt and interfere with our election, with our democracy, then that could and maybe should get a lot of bipartisan support to stop it. Yeah, so what we saw from the social media campaign, of course, that the Russians waged in 2016 is that they were targeting both sides. They were trying to inflame tensions on both the left and the right in order to sow that chaos, in order to promote disinformation, discourage people from voting, all in the final, you know, goal, for the final goal, really, of getting Americans disillusioned with the democratic process, right? Vladimir Putin had the ultimate goal of electing Donald Trump because he didn't want Hillary Clinton to be in office. But... Short of that, because no one really thought that Hillary, that Donald Trump was going to win, then short of that, an accomplishment for him would just be to show his own people that the American-style system is inferior to what the Russians have, for example. But what I also think Fiona's point here really underscores about her is the fact that she is so nonpartisan. This is someone who her colleagues don't even know what her political affiliations are. She managed to stay at the White House for over two years, even though she was not seen as a Trump loyalist, even though she really had had no good things to say about Trump during the election, because she kept her head down and because she was such a professional and people really were... The word cult has been popping up more and more. Uh, think back to two weeks ago on this program, Anthony Scaramucci uh, talked about his claim that Trump supporters are in a cult. Just last week, Dan Rather said he thinks support for Trump seems increasingly cultish. And this weekend in The Washington Post, uh, Trump critic and Republican strategist John Weaver said the GOP is not a party anymore in the traditional sense. It's a cult. But none of them are mental health experts. Stephen Hassan is. He's out with a brand new book called The Cult of Trump. He has firsthand experience escaping the Unification Church back in the 70s, and he's decided to write this book because he believes there's something seriously wrong with our politics. So I define a destructive cult as an authoritarian pyramid-structured group with someone at the top who claims to have total power and total wisdom that uses deception and, and control of behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions to make people loyal and dependent and obedient followers. So for me, the, the issue of between a, an ethical, healthy cult where you're free to think and free to leave versus a destructive cult, I'm referring to uh, the, uh, Trump's organization and, and mm. followership as a destructive cult where people are being fed propaganda and they're not being encouraged to think for themselves. They're not being encouraged to really explore and, and look at the details and arrive at their own conclusion. Much of what they're hearing is emotionally driven, uh, loaded words, thought st stopping and, and thought terminating type cliches like fake news or build the wall or make America great again. You say the president is using mind control, but how, how is that provable? So we can start with the pathological lying, which is characteristic of destructive cult leaders. That's right. 
Russian propaganda. I wrote a book about Russian election interference and other aggression, the shadow war, and what struck me is just how many digital fingerprints tied the hacking to Russia, in fact, two Russian hacking groups well-known to U.S. intelligence. As a former top NSA official told me, the Russians didn't even try to hide. So I don't know why the Republicans keep propagating this Russian propaganda other than it fits with this idea that Trump does not want to recognize that Russia may have helped his election victory in 2016. Mm. And Republican lawmakers appear willing to to, to back that kind of uh, psychosis almost, uh, you know, for political reasons here. I want to ask you again, because you know uh, how much Russia is up to this sort of thing. And by the way, we have an election less than a year away. How does it help Russia to have an American president, but also American lawmakers uh, help spread and and, and defend a, a conspiracy theory? Well, it just helps the it it, it it does not address the fact that we're now heading in to one of the consequential elections uh, in the past decade, and if we can't agree on the basic facts that Russia and Russian hackers interfered in the 2016 yeah. election, then we're not going to be any better off this time than we were four years ago. And you know, we also should point out that. Mitch McConnell refuses to bring any election security bill to the Senate floor. And through our reporting, and I'm sure you've you've heard the same, Mm -hmm. a lot of it is because of the fact that any kind of election security bill is seen by this administration as yet another reminder that Russia did intervene in the 2016 election. And what's what's horrible is that from all our reporting, we also know that it's very unlikely that Russia is going to run the same playbook that they Mm -hmm. ran in the last election. And we're still playing catch up to 2016, where we can't even agree on the basic facts that Russia did interfere. So what happens after you resign from your congressional seat amid a revenge porn scandal? Well, former California Congresswoman Katie Hill is remaining very visible, and she's speaking out against what she calls right-wing media smears. Hill resigned at the end of October after admitting she had an inappropriate relationship with a campaign staffer before coming into office. The story came to light after a conservative blog called Red State released intimate photos of Hill with an unnamed female campaign staffer and made other allegations against her. Then the Daily Mail piled on with other photos as well. Uh, you know, in the words of The Atlantic, this, this happened gradually and then all at once. But now it's been a few weeks. And Hill is still on Capitol Hill sometimes. She was remaining uh, very uh, public, speaking out about the impeachment inquiry, etc. cetera. Uh, so let's hear from her now. Uh, Katie Hill joining me from Washington. Uh, you were up on Capitol Hill this week. Uh, tell yeah. me about what the last few weeks have been like. I mean, it was a it, it was a very conscious decision to to be public, right? It, and I think what the right wing media and those who attacked me wanted was for me to be silenced. And I think that that's something that we see um, on attacks against women, not just high profile women, but um, women across the board. Is so you did admit to a breach of responsibility with this inappropriate relationship, but then you've also denied other elements of, of these accusations against you. There's been this very ugly divorce proceeding. You, you say that, that uh, you know, you're, you're the victim, essentially, of this smear campaign. Am I getting that all right? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of complicated aspects to this. What should people understand about what it's like uh, to see these websites publishing intimate photos? or what it's like to be attacked on Fox News. There's multiple layers here, but what should people know about that experience? 
Uh, I think it's the, it, you know, it's, it's one of the darkest things that we want to stay in Washington now. News tonight about the health scare for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The 86-year-old Ginsburg hospitalized this weekend, complaining of chills and a fever. The four-time cancer survivor released earlier today. Here's ABC's Kira Phillips. If there's one thing we know about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she's a fighter. And tonight is no exception. The Supreme Court's oldest justice, home from a weekend hospital stay. The court telling ABC Ginsburg fell ill Friday evening, experiencing chills and a fever taken to Johns Hopkins for further evaluation and treatment of any possible infection. One of four liberal justices on a divided court. Her vote critical on hot-button issues like abortion and immigration. The 86-year-old justice has successfully battled health issues for years, surviving colon and pancreatic cancer, fracturing three ribs a year ago. And last December, she underwent surgery for lung cancer, missing oral arguments for the first time in her 26-year career on the bench. Diagnosed with pancreatic cancer again earlier this year, Ginsburg has rarely let her personal struggles deter her from her duties. Through it all, never losing her sense of humor. I am very much alive. Tonight, the court saying Ginsburg is home and doing well. Tom Ginsburg also saying she's determined to serve as long as she is mentally agile and given no indication that she plans to step down. Meanwhile, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell made it clear that he plans to fill any vacancy that arises before the end of the Trump administration. A lot hanging in the balance here, Tom. So much. Kira Phillips from the Supreme Court tonight. Kira, thank you. What is the responsibility of social media? I think I think Facebook would give give Hitler his own fan page. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. But to me, the situation and everybody's going to say, well, they used to. Uh, Time magazine had Hitler on the cover, and New, and the New York Times yeah. in 1922 didn't think that Hitler was a bad idea. That was before they knew what a bad idea he was. Just like all the networks gave airtime to Trump before they knew what a bad idea he was. Mm-hmm. Now we know what a bad idea he is, and we know what a bad idea Hitler is. It was and black black um, racism and anti-Semitism. So now is the time to correct the situation. This is global propaganda. Everyone in every part of the world hears this stuff. And then I just realized he said they micro-target the fans. So white nationalists can just increase their numbers all over the place. It's a very dangerous, dangerous tool, in my opinion. One small thing, just as there are limits on the Second Amendment, there are limits on the First Amendment, too. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater, for example. Well, you shouldn't have these war machines out on the streets. I'm a major First Amendment person, and I still say that they have to be limits. And it's a private company. It's so dangerous right now. This is... To counter that tomfoolery, here's Mark Dice pretty much coming down on how YouTube is seriously going to fuck anybody but liberals and the liberal media and how incredibly unfair it is. This week in censorship, we learned that YouTube is updating their terms of service next week and added a little clause that reads, they may delete your account if it's no longer commercially viable. Quote, YouTube may terminate your access or your Google account's access to all or part of the service if YouTube believes in its sole discretion that provision of the service to you is no longer commercially viable. It appears that this means if a channel is demonetized, which we've seen happen to numerous sizable channels in the last few months, 
or a significant portion of the videos are demonetized and you're costing YouTube bandwidth by having them host your videos, they may just delete the account. Mashable reported, quote, as written, these broad terms give YouTube the power to delete a creator's account if they upload or live stream video that, for example, doesn't pull in enough advertising revenue. YouTube then claimed that that's not what the new terms of service mean at all, and we're just reading them wrong. They didn't even issue a statement to the press about this or send a follow-up email to all of us YouTubers who got the original email about the terms of service update. Every news article about this supposed clarification is pointing to a tweet that they sent out, not even really publicly, it was in a response to one Twitter user who was concerned about this, and they claim that we're just misunderstanding it. But don't worry guys, YouTube just released this video instructing us to make more inclusive content. YouTube's mission is to give everyone a voice and show them the world. If you're looking for ways to make your content more inclusive and appeal to a broader audience, then you are watching the right video. We're going to cover tips on how your YouTube channel can foster greater inclusion and show you how your channel can be a force for good. Oh, YouTube's mission is to give everyone a voice. That's why they took down a video from the Conservative Heritage Foundation, which simply consisted of a medical doctor talking about the rainbow people and their genders. As they say in Pig Latin, that's eight hey each spay, and that's not allowed. And speaking of the rainbow people, South Park just did a hilarious episode on transgender athletes, and of course the liberals are now calling for it to be banned. I can't tell you how free I feel now that I've started identifying as a woman. <laughs> They've sunk to a new low, says Pink News, a Rainbow People website. This week, Disney launched their own streaming service to compete with Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime called Disney Plus, which contains their enormous catalog of films. And some people are upset because some of those old Disney cartoons are offensive. They did put trigger warnings on several of the films, however. Disney issues outdated cultural depictions warning for old movies, but they won't remove the acist Ray Dumbo crows. This week, we also learned that Instagram has expanded their test of hiding the like count on posts worldwide for a select group of users, which they may roll out to everyone soon. Of course, this is a way for them to prevent people from gauging the popularity of posts, so when they shadow ban certain content, it's harder to detect. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey said that it was, quote, a great move, and has been coming under increasing pressure to do the same thing. What is the timeline for re-examining how you show follower counts or the use of the like button? You know, we're, I mean, we're, we're looking and, and thinking about all these things right now. We've, we've, um... We've definitely had conversations about them. But would you say, like, by the end of the year, there's going to be those fundamental changes to Twitter? I don't... I I worry about a time frame like that because we, we also need to take into consideration we're, we're a small company. And in case you missed it, both YouTube and Facebook are deleting any posts or videos that mention the so-called whistleblower's name in what has got to be the most widespread Orwellian censorship across the Internet in modern history. Of course, people are coming up with all kinds of clever ways to avoid their posts getting detected by the AI overlords by adding dashes and dots in between the letters or putting the name in a meme. And the New York Times is upset about it. 
The whistleblower's purported name keeps evading Facebook and YouTube's defenses. Sites said they would delete posts that include the purported name of the Ukrainian whistleblower, but the name keeps reappearing. I wonder how much longer it'll be before Google jumps on the bandwagon and starts censoring the search results, too. We as American citizens aren't allowed to know or dare say the name of the man who's trying to bring down the President of the United States. But if you happen to make a funny meme that goes viral, like that guy who slowed the video down of Nancy Pelosi, then the media's going to be all over top of you. We found the guy behind the viral Pelosi video, bragged the Daily Beast. That video racked up millions of views and sparked a national conversation. But knowing who the whistleblower is just isn't important. The liberal media industrial complex is doing everything that they can to control the flow of information. Because, as Jim Morrison said, whoever controls the media controls the mind. I mean, what's next? Are they going to try to shut down all private schools to force the kids to go to government indoctrination centers? (laughs) Oh, wait, what's this? Forbes magazine reports that the British Labor Party has passed a motion to abolish private schools and that should they gain the majority in the election that looks to be happening in the coming months, a sea change in the British education system is looming. The London Guardian reports there is no longer any justification for private schools in Britain. Oh, of course not. The government always knows what's best. And I'm sure if or when the Democrats gain power again in the United States, they'll try to do that here as well. Thankfully, we still have books. And speaking of books, my new one, the Liberal Media Industrial Complex, is still on the Amazon Top 10 bestseller list at number 5. So I hope you order it in paperback on Amazon.com or download the ebook onto your tablet from any of the major ebook stores. And this is pretty incredible considering that Jim Acosta's book dropped off the Amazon Top 100 after two days. Mine's been in the Top 10 for three so far. It made it up to number two yesterday, so I want to thank everybody who ordered the book. And a lot of people think it made it up to number one, but it's only number one in its category. But number two out of every book in the entire world isn't bad. If you like my short and sarcastic YouTube videos, you're really going to love the book. Because it's everything that I want to say on YouTube, but I can't. So head on over to Amazon.com or click the link in the description below and check it out! As I say always, the internet's only for liberals. You just get to visit it if you are not a liberal. New York Times fashionista Tulsi Gabbard wearing white says, fringy cult leader. This is a liberal. But now the Clinton critics Tulsi Gabbard is wearing white suits to presidential debates. It's a yawner. Gabbard has, by all indications, made her a uniform, and yet no one really seems to care. But obviously, Vanessa Friedman is ticked that Gabbard has called Hillary Queen of Warmongers. Miss Gabbard herself doesn't seem particularly interested in connecting with the su- suffragists, but rather in using her white suits to tap into another traditional latent in the public memory, the mythical white knight riding in to save us all yet another regime-change war. Her white suits are not the white suits of Miss Clinton, nor even the white of Miss Marianne Williamson, whose early appearances in the shade often seem tied to her wellness gospel and idea of renewal and rebirth. Rather, they're the white of avenging angels and flaming swords of somewhat combative righteousness, also cult leader. 
She's a person of color. Somehow, somehow they get away with that shit. Oh my god. Hmm. I remember that was just shoved down our neck in 2016. The white pantsuit, suffragist, women, glass ceiling. Women were all running out to get their J.C. Penny pantsuit. Yeah. Richard Jewell, and remember, for those who do the show, we don't do tweets of the day very much. It's hate tweets and tweets of the day. It's just random shit. You know, stuff I find, I just kind of throw it in a pile. Here's the pile. Richard Jewell film paints press as reckless, corrupt, and immoral. I'm going to watch that and do a review, but it is. That whole case is just scary. And for those who aren't familiar, that was the bombing in the Atlanta Olympics. And the guy didn't do it, but his life was ruined. And then we have our big hate, and it was Conan the War Dog. CNN and MSNBC refuse to carry the White House event for Conan. Uh, but uh, Conan came over from the Middle East, just arrived with some of the great people from the Special Forces that did the incredible flaw. It was a flawless attack. And uh, al-Baghdadi is gone, but that was a flawless attack, and I just met quite a few of them. And we just gave Conan a, a medal and a plaque. And it, it's really, uh, and I actually think Conan knew exactly what was going on. But uh, a dog that is very, very special. The dog is incredible, actually incredible. We spent some good time with it. And uh, so brilliant, so smart. Uh, the way it... Uh, was with the special forces people that it worked with, and for obvious reasons, they can't be out in front of the media. But they did a fantastic job. Conan did a fantastic job. And uh, we're very honored to have Conan here and to have given Conan a certificate and an award that we're going to put up in the White House. Well, I think uh, having the special forces here today, who obviously can't come out in the public, but also having uh, this extraordinary dog here today is all a reflection of... Uh, uh, of our armed forces and the great job that they do, but uh, Conan is really a hero. It's really a, it's a real joy to be able to help walk him here. Yeah, as I said, anything positive they're going to crush, and they were on it. Catherine Watson, a White House official, now tells me that Conan is actually a male after we were told earlier that Conan's a female dog. Working for more clarity, Amanda Carpenter, CNN. I'm confused. Shouldn't this be easy for the White House to confirm? Jam, jam, jam. Joan Walsh, this is terrifying. Trump and Melania exclude coldness to Conan the hero dog. Melania's, whose coat is slightly macabre to me, but others may find it lovely, moves away from Conan multiple times. Trump tells you how incredible this particular dog is repeatedly, but he clearly can't remember the name of the breed or other details. He tells us he really wanted the dog to be muzzled, which tells you about his fear. Conan's a tough cookie, we learned. Still nothing about his breed. Trump repeatedly jokes about sicking the dog on journalists. Also, again, this command of the language revivals maybe a five-year-old. Terrifying. Kate Bennett. Trump talked about what a dangerous and vicious dog Conan was while VP simultaneously petted it and put his hand on his mouth. Harry, catch a train. Of course, the Washington Post could spin this story to be anti-Trump. Conan the dog is a hero, but Trump is using the canine for attention. Oh, really? How about the Navy SEALs by Obama for fucking four years? Remember that? Anybody? Frank Boyle. Two children died in this raid. They're giving a dog a certificate. And when he got 
race showed like a motherfucker. Fuck, forgot there were people this stupid out there. Because remember, once again, it's just like the Thanksgiving shit. If you're not with them, you're just an idiot. Lewis Minch had a meltdown. Here's a photo, Conan, next to its close-up showing that she is a female. Please, Hunter, Mark Noller, and all poolers, stop carrying Trump's water. This bad bitch for America. By the way, Mark Noller, surely the fact Conan is a female dog and White House first confirmed it, then lies about it as a story. They didn't get it wrong. They've knowingly falsely changed her sex in order to cover Trump's back. That's a story. Misuse of taxpayer funds. Not, not really important. The defense officials are lying to ABC News. That matters. Factually, Conan's a girl. The press should FOIA this and stop Trump playing their games. It is a girl dog. They're lying to cover for Trump. Glenn, why is it okay the defense officials lies the news to cover for Trump? She's a female with no reporter for it. This goes on and I, I mean, Jesus Christ. Like 20, 20 over the sex of the dog. My God, these people. But then he made them explode Liberal media types lose their marbles over Trump's Rocky tweet. Unclear why he did it. Now, I don't know why he did it. It's the Rocky 4 one, and he's sitting there, and somebody photoshopped his head. Or I don't think the White House did it, but he did it. On Wednesday morning, Trump tweeted a photo. It was Rocky 3. Tweet was clear attempt by the president to got, double down on the claim that Dr. Swissley told him he has a gorgeous chest. <clears throat> More broadly, among supporters, another symbolic extrapolation could be that Trump mirrors the epically tireless boxer. However, the liberal media didn't think it was funny. The Washington Post tweeted that Trump had posted a doctored photo of his head on Sylvester St- Stallone's body. Unclear why. Like, <clears throat> we didn't know that. Democracy dies in the dark. They got to tell us it's a doctored photo. Because all us rubes out here might actually believe that Trump is Rocky fucking Balboa. Yeah. It's journaling. Journalism him in. Yeah. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. I mean, for fuck's sake. In a post as part of their impeachment live updates blog, John Rayner wrote, It was not clear what inspired Trump's tweet. A White House spokesman did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The horror! Presumably, democracy must have died in darkness today or something like that. Wagner has plenty of fellow lefties who were triggered. Uh, Anna Nirvano, Trump has mastered the arc of drunk tweeting. Brian Seltzer, unclear why. Charles Sykes, only demonic human scum doubt this. Uh, Marco Raju, Manu Raju, a reminder that Trump tweets are official statements from the White House. Tom Nichols, the President of the United States just set this out as perfectly normal national leader often does. See, I mean, they, they, they spend all day waiting for him to tweet something so they can dog it. The hubbub came on the heels of Trump's surprise visit last weekend to Walter Reed, blah, blah, blah. They say he has Alzheimer. Rocky 9, people joked. The people made it funny. It's absolutely clear why. He's just joking. It's quite clear. Trump was talking about how healthy he was during floor rally last night, including a reference to his gorgeous chest. Mindy Robinson, unclear why, because he likes fucking with you guys. You're triggered over everything. I mean, it's a fucking meme. Nathan, Ob- uh, Nathan Brand, democracy dies in darkness. <laughs> and then the Reagan Battalion. Not a fan of Trump Photoshop tweets, but who the fuck cares? They said hell, I said fuck.
Yeah. But to my hate are these. New York Times gives Fusion GPS dossier duo a do-over to bash Trump and the GOP. And wouldn't you know it, just like Antifa, Chuck Todd brought the dudes that made up a fake Russian dossier. Yeah. Yeah, he brought them on his show. Mac, few things were cited more often by Republicans in the impeachment hearings than the so-called Steele dossier. In fact, the dossier, its author, Christopher Steele, and the company that hired him, Fusion GPS, were mentioned 32 times by House Republicans. The dossier said Russia had dirt on Mr. Trump that could be used to blackmail him. The Clinton campaign paid Fusion GPS, and Republicans have argued the salacious dossier, or memos, if you will, is evidence that Russia was working with Democrats to smear Mr. Trump. Well, now the two men who created Fusion GPS have written a book, Crime and Progress Inside the Steele Dossier and the Fusion GPS Investigation of Donald Trump. And Glenn Simpson and Peter Frisch, the founders of the company, join me now. Gentlemen. Good morning. Welcome to Meet the Press. Nice to be with you. Um, Peter, why did you feel the need to write this book? Um, And I say this because it it also means revealing a lot of secrets. Right. Well, thanks for having us on. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we wrote the book to tell the real story of the Steele dossier, which is arguably now, I think you'd agree, one of the most important documents in recent political history. Um, You know, it's important to remember, we started this work on Donald Trump in the fall of 2015, looking for Republicans Mm -hmm. to look at the business dealings of Donald Trump and his business record. You know, Republican donor and another Republican organization that was looking for background information for what? Reporting? um, Opposition research? That's that's correct. I mean, they were were looking for, look, they were trying to stress test his his suitability for president. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were pro-Trump, anti-Trump. You know, that's that's to be decided. But, you know, it, it started out as an ordinary business investigation. It wasn't really about Russia. Um, as time went on and we realized that he had branched out his business empire around the world, well, we began looking at other countries. It wasn't just Russia. Um, this is all recounted in great detail in the book. Right. Um, it's, um, it was a fairly typical investigation for the first seven right. months or so. Um, but it eventually did lead us to Russia. But it... It doesn't make logical sense for it to be a Democratic conspiracy if, half, if, if the first half of the investigation was right. paid for by Republicans. Let me ask this about, this, about the Steele dossier. Some of the larger findings, some could argue, uh, have been proven true. Trump is vulnerable to Russian blackmail was one of the allegations. There was a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation between the Trump campaign and Russia. Trump's team knew and approved of Russia's plans to provide emails to WikiLeaks. But none of those three allegations have been proven. you still stand by them? Well, I mean, first, it's important to remember who Christopher Steele is. He's a former British intelligence officer who rose to run MI6's Russia desk. Um, This is one of the most capable and one of the most knowledgeable experts on Russia in the world today. And he, uh, he, he spent a lot of time going through the dossier to sort out information from disinformation, credible facts from non credible facts. Well, let me ask this, though. You guys and Glenn, you know, one of the odder coincidences is the Russian lawyer, Veselnitskaya, I hope I pronounced her name correctly. Veselnitskaya. who you were working with, saw her on the same day as the infamous Trump Tower meeting. You you claim in the book you did not know it at the time. But you even write in the book that, oh, now you're starting to wonder, you you sort of drawn in and worked in a way. So if you might have been drawn in and worked in a way, how do you know Christopher Steele wasn't? 
Because Chris is a true pro at this. Uh, I'm an ex-journalist. Um, he, he spent his whole life in this area. This is his single focus of expertise, is Russian counterintelligence and Russian disinformation. So that's, that's we talk about that at length in the book. Uh, we also talk in the book uh, very candidly about, uh, you know, Let's be honest. We have to. There, there are certain things we wonder about. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to know more. I mean, I'd like what? Well, I mean, it's important to remember, by the way, that the past is prologue, right? I was sitting here today at the end of 2019. Does anyone doubt that Donald Trump would be capable of inciting a foreign or working with a foreign government to affect the political process here in this country? It's exactly what the House is looking at right now. Let me um, get you to respond to Fiona Hill. She called it. I mean, I'm, most people may know what was said, but here's what she said. Dr. Hill, during, uh, during your deposition, I asked you, was Christopher Steele's dossier a rabbit hole? Do you remember, remember the answer you gave to that Yes, question? I thought it was a rabbit hole. Yeah, and you also said a couple pages later in the deposition or in the transcript that I have here of your deposition that you thought he got played. Is that fair? That is fair, yes. Fiona Hill's an expert. She is, actually. She's uh, not uh, of the same uh, exact area of expertise as Chris. She's not a disinformation specialist. Okay. Um, and so she is a Russia specialist in general. Um, she's entitled to her opinion. Uh, I know she knows Chris and has worked with him for a long time. Uh, so I'm not sure uh, that that is very well understood but in that one remark. I mean, I was puzzled by her comment because I don't really know what a rabbit hole means in that context. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, though that you can't actually catch rabbits without going down some rabbit holes. So you need to actually follow leads where they take you, and we have full confidence in Chris's ability to do exactly and, that. Uh, and, and her broader statements about what the Russians are doing, mm -hmm. um, uh, not just in our country but around the world, uh, match up exactly with our work. Um, one of the things that I think people may not realize is you're still actively doing an investigation of Donald Trump. Explain what it is. It's actually not an investigation of Donald Trump. What we're doing is investigating Russia's um, efforts to affect uh, and disrupt Western democracies. So that's France, that's Britain, that's Hungary, that's any number and, of countries. And that's and a, who's, paying, who's paying you for it? It's a nonprofit. Oh. Uh, is this this Rob Reiner thing that he's a part of an independent, uh, that whole consortium group? It's called the Democracy Integrity Project, okay. and I don't know what his connection to it is, gotcha. if he has one. It's run by Daniel Jones, mm -hmm. uh, which is all obviously public record. He is the former staffer who wrote the intelligence report on the CIA torture program for Senator Feinstein. And um, are, what, what, what is going to happen to these findings? Is it going to be made public? Do you turn it over to law enforcement? Are you giving it to a political campaign? Uh, that's for the, the nonprofit to decide. So it depends on what the information is. But um, we have tried, you know, I mean, the, the charter is public education. Mm -hmm. So in one form or another, we are attempting to educate the public about Russia's attempts to undermine Western democracies, not just in, in the United States. Before I go, um, what kind of toll is this taking on you guys personally? It, I would assume quite a bit. Um, you've been targeted personally, harassed personally online. Um, talk about it. It's, it was really unpleasant for a long time. Um, you know, we were forced by various covenants we had with our clients to remain silent about our role. Um, and that was hard to take when you have, on a daily basis, uh, Republicans pushing lies about you, much as they're doing about whistleblowers today and other, you know, patriots who are actually standing up for democracy. It's really, really unhappy. And we had some legal bills. You had, Glenn, you had Rudy Giuliani attacking you this week, making claims, and you confronted him. That's right. Um, I wanted to put him on notice that um, we're just not going to let him deliberately lie about us. Uh, let's be clear. He's not confused. He's deliberately lying. 
um, we're going to respond when people deliberately lie about us, especially if it's the president of the United States' lawyer. Peter Frisch, Glenn Simpson, the book, uh, it is a fascinating read. No matter what, what you think of the Steele dossier, if you talk about it, you should read this book and then start talking about it again. Hello from Washington, I'm Chuck Todd, and thanks for checking out the Meet the Press channel on YouTube. Click on the button down here to subscribe and click over here to watch the latest interviews, highlights, and other digital exclusives. I love how he intros it. Because the GOP talks about it, we'll bring him back so they can continue to make up shit about the president. Good journalism there, Chuck Todd, you fucking hack. Next article, Washington Post's main Twitter page shows how they obsess over Trump. Washington Post editor Marty Barron loves to claim he's not about getting Trump or beating Trump or at war with Trump, but about work. Really? But what if we took a look at the official Twitter page of the Post? Would we find a war with Trump? The answer would be emphatically yes. On Thursday, November 21st, the Post was covering the last day of the Adam Schiff impeachment hearing, as well as previous night's Democrat presidential debate on MSDNC. In the 24 hours of Thursday, the Post's main Twitter page posted 183 tweets. 70 of those, 38%, were focused on impeachment. 29 were about Trump or his administration. In contrast to that, 54%... The MSDNC post-Democrat debate drew only 17 tweets, 9%. Of 183 tweets, 56, 30% were explicitly marked as opinion, perspective, or analyst, or analyst, excuse me. That's a shitload, folks. That's how they cover themselves. That's how the New York Times covers themselves. They say, well, we're just reporting news. But your damage is actually done with all your opinions about Trump, which are all negative. Poll. Majority concern that Trump opponents will resort to violence. It was 1,000 likely voters. 53% responded to Rasmussen that they're concerned. 24% highly concerned. And this was amongst not just Republicans. If they rioted day one of his presidency, why the fuck don't you think in 2020 it's going to be worse? It just won't be Washington, D.C. They're going to burn this fucking place down, folks. SNL and Hot Water after ratings show Americans are sick of anti-Trump dialogue and they promptly do a Democratic skit of the debate and they mock them. But their ratings are still down. It's horrible. I don't even record it anymore. Democrat Pramila Japal. Trump trying to use the court system is obstruction of justice. That's what she says. (laughs) Oh, you fucking people. Judd Legum. This is a real tweet. The Trump campaign has a bunch of Facebook ads that tell people they have special access to his Black Friday sale, 35% off everything, because they are a top supporter. But the ad is a lie. Anyone can go to the website and get 35% off. He was serious. 
Somebody responded, crack reporting, the people need to know. I always thought I was the one and only person that email was written for. Do you mean that marketing material with my name on it wasn't specifically just for me? Really? Fucking people. Actual last hate fucking tweet. And we go to tweets of the day. This is a Chiron on CNN. Judge tells Trump he's not a king, blowing hole in defense. That's a Chiron. That's a news organization. Just remember that. That is a news organization. To our tweets of the day, and they're all audio, which will take us out to a music break and news and social media nuggets. First, Margaret Sullivan, real journalist, are the reality-based journalist. And and I want to say for the record, I think this is like the fifth fucking time she said this. Tim Allen on The View talking about cancel culture. And Trump plays a troll. It'll be the last sound by you hit. He trolls Chris Cuomo, a video mocking his stupid-ass fucking phone call game that he did on a show that we played last podcast. Once again, then do a music break, and we'll come into Military Corner and News Social Media Nuggets. Here's how the Washington Post described that interview. Uh, it said Trump continued to make lofty promises of soon-to-come bombshells. He peddled falsehoods. He spread long-debunked conspiracy theories. He attacked his perceived enemies. He dabbled in misogynistic tropes, all while playing the role of persecuted victim. Now, Margaret, you're at the Washington Post. That's why I wanted to share this. We need writing and reporting like that. To explain how bonkers this is. Right. I mean, we can't just sort of say, you know, take it down the middle and sort of say, here's what the people on the right are saying, here's what the people on the left are saying. I mean, that doesn't mount to a false equivalency because, mm. unfortunately, you know, what's being viewed as left-wing media is actually what I like to call the reality-based press. Um, and, you know, I don't think that most of the time, and particularly on those evening shows, but as Oliver says, not just on the evening shows, you're not getting reality. You're getting a very skewed version of things and that is by design Tim, you and i both came up started stand-up comedy in the 80s and leno says hi by the way oh jay leno my boyfriend yeah and uh, <laughs> and um and and still you're still doing it right 44 cities just finished see what i mean uh-huh. by the hardest working man so so what do you think now i mean it's a little bit different now i mean you, there's a pc culture out there it makes it really hard i think my act if i ever brought that old act back i'd be driven out of town i i i grew up life changing with lenny bruce the the bit he did in 61 here in new york you can't i have to point to it to have to go read it people read it it yeah. changed my life about everything of course about how it was un- amazing. I grew up on Richard Pryor. You can't even go back and talk about the mm-hmm. book he wrote. Yeah. You know, and then what I got to do sometimes is explain, which I hate in, in big arenas, that this is a thought police thing and I do not like it. But when I use these words, this is my intent behind those words. Yeah. Wow. So as long as you understand my intent, I still get people, but just don't say it. And I said, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, but they take it out of context and put it on Twitter I, or I, put it on Facebook. And I'm surprised they, they haven't. I'm surprised they <laughs> haven't because I do use some provocative yeah. words, but I tell them it's words that really got from my parents. Yeah. You know, they, 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 they said this stuff and we talked about it. I can't even say it here. I can't even point to it. Yeah. It yeah. is an alarming thing for comedians. But my act has really been about family and right. kids and growing up anyway. Mm-hmm. But I was going to say... if. I, I do some stuff. My, my, the women in my life were, uh, whatever political party it was, always they hated the government. And who's going to pay for it? Yeah. They, were, they always argued about that over right. vodka. 
Well, I can cigarettes. <laughs> who's who's going to pay for it? I don't know. The government and all this. And if I bring up that whole story about my, my grandma once, because I stole money from my parents, I never worked, and my one grandma says, I think we got ourselves a little Democrat down there. <laughs> and, was, and I do that in uh, Miami. People laugh and cheer. You do it in Redding, Pennsylvania? Oh, hey, oh, oh. Why? Why about why Redding? Well, it's a little bit more democratic. Oh, so they don't like it. They I didn't see. like that. And I, you, I do the city. So when I do the political stuff, it's a little bit more... And I don't really do political stuff. It's it's more of a perspective. Yeah. Right. But I said words words do matter. But I said Lenny said they didn't, and it was '61. Yeah. Wow. You know, even if you look, go go watch the movie Blazing Saddles. Oh uh, my just, God! Forget you it. You can't even watch that yeah. without looking around in your own room. Very interesting theory uh, from our president that he has really good hearing. Some would say uh, the best hearing ever, and he's never been able to hear a phone call. Um, when it wasn't on speakerphone um, from anybody. So let's just play with that for a second. Mom, can you hear me? What do you want? I keep hearing all these things. What do you want? All right. So if I were holding the phone here, I'm with Dana Bash. You know how you're always telling we me to let her talk because she's so smart and I shouldn't say so much. Can you just say hello? I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Mom, she probably can't hear me. Mom, can you hear me? If you weren't fake news, you'd cover it properly. I'm talking to you. Say hello to Dana Bash. Hi, Mrs. Cuomo. No, not you. Not you. How are you? You are fake news. And your mother is voting for Trump. All right. So <laughs> I, I can't hear your mother, Chris. <laughs> Go home to mommy. Go home. Bye. Go home to mommy. Military Corner. New data shows performance divide on the new Army combat fitness test is gigantic. It's a hundred and a 110-point difference between man and female. Why do I cover it? Changes are coming. Yeah, that shit's going to get redone. Trump ordered Def- Secretary of Defense to let SEAL keep his trident. That's a big deal, and the Secretary of Defense got shit-canned. I, I, I don't want to even cover it. I, you know, part of me is all for it. Part of me is not. I'm really conflicted on this. It's nice to see... Uh, commander-in-chief actually give a fuck about the troops and step in and protect some for shit that's bullcrap but at the same time then we get into the quandary of well he's just acting like democrats i mean really that's what he's doing they want to control everything in the military and sexual assaults and all that crap which i'm against so it's kind of a sticky wicket Veterans can now learn about their toxic exposure risks with a new VA app. Um, you can go over to, and I need to do this. Uh, there's no logon needed to access the app's feature, and it can be downloaded via the Apple Store or Google Play on smartphones. So while we're on the phone, on the phone, I'm pulling up my phone, the... A, D, A. Let's see. Vetsapp.org. I don't know if that's it. Veterans benefit at your fingertips. An app uniquely tailored for U.S. veterans. I don't think that's it. They didn't even give a web. Veterans... Administration app. There we go. VA Launchpad. I am installing. 
If you're a vet, install it. That way you can log on to the burn pit. Interesting surmise. I'm not. I'm just going to read the title. I'm not going to go into the article, but it, it is pretty cool how much stuff has changed. If anybody listens to the show, when we went to Afghanistan. We had aim points, which are horrible in desert. They're CQB. They're they're known for clearing rooms and shit. So the red dot did you very little good out there in you know the desert, and we asked for ACOGs. And we asked for 7.62 weapons. It took a long time to change that. But as the years have gone on, things have really accelerated on modernizing the weapon systems. Deadlier machine guns, rifles, pistols, and more. How the Army is revolutionizing squad firepower. And if you really think about all the things I reported lately, it's amazing the amount of new weapon systems that are coming into the military. Everything for the pistol Squad automatic weapon. The only thing that hasn't been replaced is the 240B. So that's pretty fucking badass. And lastly, I don't know how to feel about this. I'm not big on the badges. Like, I was awarded the driver's badge as a joke at the end of my career. Because I didn't have an accident in the desert. And they made me wear it to a ball. But some of these badges are dumb. Well, they came out with the Master Gunner Identification Badge. And I know a lot of guys in the mech world, that's a big deal. So... I get the guess this is good, but once again, <clears throat> a beret and a badge aren't really going to change a lot of things with morale. I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe lay off the fucking PC sauce. So we're going to go into college crazy. Some long sound bites. Um, I'm not going to play the Turkey Day one. There's one with campus reform where it's all about genocide, so I admitted that. I also admitted the soundbite of all the TV shows. Even The Simpsons called it Genocide Day. But I will cover Heather McDonald getting protested and the Harvard game shenanigans. It's kind of brief. And then we're going to go into all the the, uh, fucking Democratic politicians who thought this was a great fucking thing. Your racism is not welcome. Your sexism is not welcome. Your homophobia is not welcome. Your racism is not welcome. Your racism is not welcome. Your sexism is not welcome. Your homophobia is not welcome. Your racism is not welcome. Your sexism is not welcome. Your rac
This to me looks like a beautiful campus. Again, you have Yale, the game currently going on in New Haven, Connecticut, is in a delay over on ESPNU. There are protesters on the field attempting to bring more attention to climate change. Lots of protesters on the field inside the Yale Bowl. Harvard leading a very consequential game in the Ivy League. Change. So do some other folks. It's one of the oldest annual college sporting traditions in the country. But the 136th Harvard-Yale game was delayed yesterday when hundreds of climate change activists swarmed the field to protest. Students originally emerged from both sides of the stadium, a protest of some sort, and took a seat at the midfield area. An announcement has been made asking them to clear the playing surface. But as of yet, we are in a delay. Well, our next guest actually attended yesterday's game. He's campus reform correspondent, Harvard student DJ Lacey, who joins us now with morning uh, more. Good morning, DJ. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So what was it like to see this play out? You're going to see a football game, and all of a sudden it becomes yeah. a climate change protest. Yeah, so I made the trip down to New Haven yesterday with a group of my friends. We were coming down to watch a great game of football. Um, it was the 136th edition of the Harvard-Yale game, one of the oldest rivalries in college football. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, the game was you know, politicized and um, hijacked by these student protesters. Um, around 150 students entered the field at halftime, and subsequently around 500 others joined and uh, you know, refused to leave, and the game was delayed. Um, so I think there was a, a, a level of, of disrespect and that was shown um, by these protesters. How, how long was the game delayed by? So the game was delayed by about an hour. Um, and wow. you know, as someone in the stands, it really, really changed the whole entire dynamic of what was going on on the field. DJ, can you confirm that everyone who protested arrived at that protest on a bicycle? 
Uh, is that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I could not confirm that, you, no. Certainly not. At the end of the day, I mean, you go to watch a football game, you get a... You, is this the kind of thing you see on campus every day, Harvard, Yale, students who are going to get an education in the greatest country on Earth, but they've decided that climate change is the single biggest issue they care about? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, this is not the first example of this, you know, disrespectful and disruptive form of protest from these students. Um, this is something that I've covered with the Institute um, Leadership Institute's campus reform. Just last year, this same group um, disrupted a speech um, by Harvard President Larry Bacow. Yeah. Um, so I think it is unfortunate that we continue to see um, these sorts of protests um, from students that go to universities that pride themselves on raising the next generation of American leaders. Yeah, DJ, this happened at the Yale campus. There's a Yale stadium, and I saw some people yeah. on social media saying that as a punishment, maybe Yale next year should be required to start at least one of the protesters in the football game in each game next season. What do you think about getting some of these protesters out there? Have them play a little football. <laughs> I wonder if they could do it. <laughs> I, that, that certainly would be an interesting, uh, interesting form of, of punishment for these students. Um, but I think it is important to point out, you know, that this game should have been about the players in the first yeah. place. For them, you know, this is one of the biggest football games of the year, and this is the culmination of their, yeah. you know, months of hard work. Um, and unfortunately, these protesters decided to politicize this event and kind of steal the spotlight from them. And the yeah. headlines we're seeing this morning are about the protests rather than what actually happened in the game, um, which I think is very unfortunate. Ruining um, a football you know, it's game. Great to be ruining a football game and also pointless if they really cared about climate change, they'd go protest in front of the Chinese embassy, mm. um, not yeah. the I mean, I think there's game. Certainly. There's certainly much better ways to go about this. You know, it's great to be passionate about a cause, but there's an appropriate way to advocate for change, <clears throat> and the spectacle that we saw yesterday was certainly not that. All right. DJ, DJ Lacey, thank you. Coming I love Ed's idea. All these protests. <laughs> now, before we go any further, that wasn't Harvard students. That was Sunrise Movement. That's who hit it. Which is so disingenuous. This isn't organic. This is that mafia for AOC. So of course, you expect AOC. Activism disrupts the present to change the future. Oh, isn't that fucking cliche? Elizabeth Warren, I support the students, organizers, and activists demanding accountability on climate action more at Harvard and Yale. Climate change is an existential threat. We must take bold action to fight the crisis. And she retweets sun, sun, Sunrise Movement. Mainstream media didn't really talk about that aspect. Bernie Sanders, when people come together to stand up for justice, we win. Congratulations to the young people demanding a sustainable future for our planet. We are with you in the fight. Uliano Castro, from the March for Our Lives to worldwide climate strikes, students and young people are leading the charge to protect their futures. I'm inspired by their efforts to hold these vulnerable or these universities to a higher standard. The problem is, once again, you're a lion sack of shit. It's organizers and Steyer and AOC financing at Soros. This isn't fucking organic. This is, as Nancy Pelosi says, AstroTurf. AOC again. There have been many aspects of GOP's little flash mob that have relied on mountains of entitlement and privilege, but them asking the police to be arrested is just... Well, let's just say, my community find it hard to understand why anyone would ask to be arrested. Just one day after she did this, her tweet about 
these people getting arrested in Harvard, which is what ended up happening, was good for them. What a great job. That's activism. So, once again, AOC, you're a fucking hypocrite. David Hogg, text vote to 954-954. He's sure fallen off the map, hasn't he? He got into this. I, I think somebody needs to give him the memo. 50 years from now, how is Harvard going to kick Yale's ass if the game stopped because of high tide? And somebody says, 50 years? That's a miracle! We only have eight years left a couple months ago. <laughs> it's so true. Then WAPO gets involved in more protesting. Watch the Post House student foil gender-based grievance protests at the White House. A celebratory event Friday at the White House. Columbia University's National Championship fencing team failed in a plan to rebuke Trump while being honored with several other NCAA national teams. The Columbia activists sought to hand-delivered letter to the president criticizing his gender-based prejudice. Their intention in a letter were publicly publicized ahead of the celebration by WAPO and the Secret Service informed team captains they were not going to be allowed to hand the president shit. The Post explained, Columbia University fencing team planned to confront the president over gender equality policies mostly fizzled out Friday after the athletes were not allowed to hand him a letter spelling out the concerns during a ceremonial photo opportunity. Shortly before the athletes were escorted in the East Room, a White House aide told them the Secret Service discourages visitors from handing items to President. Captain Nolan Scruggs and Elise Gout said the aide took the letter and promised to deliver to Trump, they said, and the athletes did not directly express their objections. In an early Friday morning story by the Post, Jacob Bogage and David Nakamura, those are great journalists right there, uh, members of co-ed intended to wear matching white lapel pins of the White House and hand Trump a letter. An invitation to out that a few of our teammates made their respectable decision not to attend, following the examples of outspoken professional athletes, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Mr. President, fencing is one of the only three co-ed educational sports in the NCAA to win the national championship requires strength and aptitude and combined force of gender identities, none of which have any greater importance or stature than the next. But while ours is a victory born from values of gender equality, yours is one shadowed by continued acts of gender-based prejudice, Title IX, yada, yada, Shut the fuck up. WAPO was all over that one. But they failed to mention this one. Armed and mass student arrested at Marquette University. Marquette University student was arrested after police responded to a report of an armed mass man inside a conservative event. The unidentified student was arrested after police responded to reports of a masked individual reportedly with two knives during a Young Americans for Freedom event. The student taken into custody by Marquette police officers without incident. A record of the arrest can be found. Basically, he was there to fuck a motherfucker up. So, what is up with the violence? Huh? We're, we're not talking about that anymore? And then in Portland State University, Women's Center holds meetings solely for un- minority students. At the bottom, this is solely for persons of color. That didn't make the media either. But it doesn't surprise me for Portland. Because remember, the black police chief is a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. So as we segue out into our gay shit, here's a greatest sound effect of an Antifa college protester running into a person in the car that says, Fuck you and your bullshit. I gotta get to work. Get out of the fucking way, you fuckhead. 
talk doesn't say exactly where these compulsory lessons are going to be taking place, but the Daily Mail covered the following subject. Children as young as six are being given compulsory self-touching lessons that will teach them about touching or stimulating their own genitals. What do you think? It, it, I'm telling you, it, it's pedophilia. The, the left is very sick on this. They, they just got a serious problem. This is just straight up pedophilia, and any teacher or administrator involved should be arrested as sex predators. Another person. Nope, nope, and nope, and nope. No stranger's going to teach my kid how to masturbate than sit back and watch them do it. Because in that article, that's what they're saying. Teaching little kids how to masturbate. What is wrong with you people? Washington Post, how drag queens have snatched the political spotlight in the Trump era. I knew it was coming after that fucking fruitcake that was covered by NBC during the impeachment. Drag and politics have always been intertwined ever since the 1969 uprising at Stonewall Inn in New York, where drag queens and transgender women, notably the performer Marsha P. Johnson, were among the foremothers of gay rights movements. The problem is there were forefathers because they had dicks. And in the lead up to 2020 with drag enjoying more mainstream popularity than ever before. Oh, really? It's mainstream popularity? Or you pushing it? I don't know. Drag queens are becoming a perfect foil to Trump. The act of dressing in drag has long been a political statement. It's an act of rebellion against societal norms and an art form that elevates the voices of disenfranchised communities. And as a drag has attracted a new mainstream audience, one that might see it purely as entertainment. There have been efforts to make the connection more overt. The piece goes on to mention the popular nationwide Drag Queen Story Hour and other replies were exactly what I said. Because the media incessantly pushes this. This is how it's becoming in the spotlight. Nobody goes out and seeks this stuff. You shove it down our neck. We don't have a choice. Empire spotlights beautiful transgender singing, living her truth. But it's a hymn. So far in the end of Empire... After his faux racial attack, criticizing pro-lifers, supporting abortion, and mocking Christians. With only three episodes to go, the series somehow managed to also squeeze in a transgender storyline to boot. I guess there's always room for a little more liberal pandering. In the November 26th episode, Do You Remember Me, has Cookie Taja P. Henson, 
attempting to rebuild her life, blah, 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 blah. That's right. Melanie is a transgender woman, so much so that she considers the name Melvin to be a dead name and offensive. She also has a bad falling out with Lucius when she revealed her truth, and he threatened to take the damn dress off, put it on your pants, get out there, Melvin, or it's a rifle in your ass. Melody's initial hostile to Cookie by association. Oh, okay, who gives a fuck? I'm not reading this now. I thought there'd be something in here that was worth reading. There's not. Lesbian Showtime series. They rebooted The L Word, which I tried to watch a little bit because I love that lady from Flashdance, but then when I found out it was a lesbian show, I stopped watching it. <clears throat> not because I'm homophobic, but uh, the way they were... Man, they were just aggressive sex, like every point, two point three. There wasn't a plot that was dry humping. Adding the recent wave of TV series revivals, Showtime's lesbian drama, The L Word, is returning to the next generation. The reboot nobody wanted, titled The L Word Generation Q, will premiere December 8th, and at, the, at this time, they plan to be so horrifying, horrifically disgusting, they'll have you seeing red literally. As Variety reports in its review, Marja Lewis Ryan's new iteration aims to both honor the original series and push its boundary beyond what it could or dared even to go. Be afraid, be very afraid. This means actually investing more time, energy, and consideration in non-white and trans characters because intersexuality and shit. But far, far worse, the show comes painting out the gate with explicit bloody period sex. Nobody needs to see that. Well, what the fuck? The revival of Showtime's once revolutionary lesbian drama just admirably to radically different TV landscape, Friday notes, approvingly. Since the original show ran on Showtime between 2004 and 2009, there has been a lot more nuance and depiction of LGBTQ, EIEIO stories in television, even about children on network TV. Apparently, Generation Q sees this as a challenge. Now, thankfully, there are far more shows featuring prominent queer characters to choose from, which significantly raises the level of difficulty for a new iteration of L Word. The reboot will follow two generations of queer people talking, loving, loving, breathing, fighting, fucking, crying, drinking, writing, winning, losing, cheating, kissing, thinking, dreaming in Los Angeles, and somewhere in there will be some scissoring. I added that. With the older generation being return characters from the original. One new character is a trans man whom she shows try hard not to fail in a stark contrast to the original world, infamously disastrous portrayal of a trans man in 2006. But Variety complains that trans women remain frustratingly marginal. Well, yeah, because it's 0.07%, so how many trans women are out there? 0.04? There's more dudes. 0.03 0.03 maybe. I bet probably last 0.02. It's mostly dudes and drag, not women. In 2007, the L word aired an episode featuring artistic rendering of an unauthorized abortion of President Trump or Bush. Sorry. So I can only imagine how they'll handle the Trump era. Actually, we already know they'll have blood coming out of their eyes, blood coming out of whatever, or try to push the envelope. Variety Review dubs the show a considered take with a slant of fresh characters and a clear eye toward the future of queer life, and I won't be watching. It's just fucking insane. Based Poland ends our gay shit. 100 kilogram heavy and 188 centimeters tall transgender woman Hannah Mosi has has been allowed to compete for Australian handball. The poor Iranian woman 
don't stand a chance. They show this, and you can look it up. Um, it's at based Poland. It's unbelievable. It's a dude. It's like a six-something dude standing there with a bunch of short girls playing handball. And somehow that's going to be fair. Yeah, no. To outrage for the sake of outrage before we get into racist shit and we got to board everybody until they're fucking, you know, before they... You can board up into getting Social Security. PETA is going after the University of Georgia for using a live mascot, but Ugga, the bulldog, actually lives a lavish life. People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, better known as PETA, have come after the mascot for Georgia football. PETA tweeted that Ugga X looks miserable at a recent UGA game and called on the university to retire the English Bulldog from its obligation to the team. Fans quickly responded by saying that Ugga leads a lavish life, complete with his own bedroom, air-conditioned doghouse, custom-engineered car, and a hotel suite near the university. Home Skillet was sitting in his doghouse as it was raining. No dog's happy about rain. Other than my Huskies, I love it. <clears throat> Ugga X, the 10th iteration of the storied football program, Lime Pure White English Bulldog Mascot, was caught on camera sulking and flashing his sad puppy dog eyes during number four Georgia's victory over Texas A&M in a rainstorm. The good boy sat cuffed up in his custom UGA-themed doghouse, which comes equipped with a permanent air conditioner, lots of space, and a prime view of the cheerleaders, which rain, while rain poured down between the hedges at Sanford Stadium. PETA got a hold of the clip and said its tweet that Ugga looks miserable. He do- No dog deserves to be packed up, carted from state to state, and paraded in front of a stadium full of screaming fans. Animals are not mascots. Must retire UGA immediately. He should be at a home with a loving family. Fans immediately responded to this stupidity. Matt HBTFD Johnson. This dog is treated better than any human in the state of Georgia. You should see what it's like when he gets packed up for his luxurious travel. Only the best for Ugga X. Austin Grant. That dog was a better life than most people do. He loved and adored by thousands of people. I think he enjoys his life. The official Ugga. I enjoy my life. I bet the dog typed it, too. Hijack. They take better care of the dog than their players. UGA 89, you may already know this, UGA made sure his house is AC, flies first class, and he has his own hotel room, but the university doesn't own him. His human owners bring him to the game. They drive up from Savannah. Oh, snap. There goes your stupidity. Ugga does seem to have a cushy life. He lives in Savannah, Georgia with his owners, the Sealer family, and even has his own room. The Sealers drive Ugga up to Athens in his own specially engineered Georgia red car throughout the season for home games. When the Bulldogs are playing on the road, Ugga triply travels with the team. Ugga has a publicist, a lawyer, and an agent. And he's treated like royalty around the campus. He rides on a golf cart and even has his own suite in a nearby hotel when he gets a, ba- he gets a bath before every home game. Given the years of history behind Georgia's beloved Ugga tradition, it seems unlikely that the university will ever do what PETA wants. Fuck me, people. What the fuck? <clears throat> Aren't there some animals you guys need to be killing since you're a kill shelter owner? Yeah, that was a story the media ignored. Bloomberg Reviewer brings on our next stupid faux outrage. Bloomberg reviewer obsessed with lack of diversity in Ford versus Ferrari. Are you fucking shitting me? It's an actual story. Did you want us to invent gay people? As for the review itself, one only has to wait until the third paragraph for obsession to begin. 
It's a beautifully shot film that will be enjoyable for modern car buyers and enthusiasts alike. Engines rev, tires squeal, stopwatches click. But what I saw is a devastating picture of the lack of diversity that permeated the industry in the 60s. Ford versus Ferrari shows a generation's best left dead and gone. Picture this, during all 152 minutes of the film, which for those who love vintage racing cars, will feel as good as an ice cream sundae on a summer afternoon. And you can read all about it here. Men dominate the screen for 98% of the time by my unofficial count. They are in the executive suites of Ford and Ferrari, in the workshops and garages in Venice, and on the track out at Willow Spring Raceway. And when I say men, I mean white, straight men. No fraction of the storyline is devoted to parsing the thoughts and feelings of any female who appear even peripheral on the screen. Instead, Calatron Baff, who plays Miles' wife, Molly, is presented as a doting mother. Other women wave through the film like smoke. Secretaries in wood-paneled offices handling manila folders to men in navy suits. Corporate wives smiling silently, always positioned one step behind their husband's shoulder. Young racing fans that serve as pretty decor on racing podiums. To the victor go the spoils. After a brief, merciful respite from her diversity lecture, Elliot finishes with a hard blast, hyping the patriarchy that continues to obsess her. It's no surprise to survey this patriarchal wasteland, but it's no less depressing to see it nonetheless. This epic portrayal remains uncomfortably close to how the car world is today. We still have to look hard to find women of consequence. Six of GM's 11 global bullet winners are women, an admirable percentage. But the members are worse elsewhere at Toyota... Hyundai, Kia, Lada, Lada, Lada. Ford vs. Ferrari puts in stark relief the stunt mentality of previous generations. Carol Shelby, crystallized by Hollywood like a mosquito in amber, is its totem artifact of generations dead and gone. He's best left behind. Really. Really. <clears throat> Next review, The Grist. How Ford and Ferrari is the climate change horror film nobody needed. The scene is, in itself, a neat metaphor for our society's addiction to fossil fuels. Even in the face of disaster, race car driver Carol Shelby is too addicted to speed and glory to fathom not refueling his vehicle. He has a compulsion to continue doing literally the exact same thing over and over and over again, even in threatens to kill him and those around him. The ensuing two and a half hours of Ford and Ferrari are slick with the same uncanny symbolism, though director Jane Magnafold never once even winks at the negative environmental effects of combusting all that gasoline, he has unwittingly made to create a striking climate climatic allegory for the climate crisis. Oh my god. Shut up! You fucking people. You know, it goes back to that story I read about 100 podcasts ago about a liberal site literally saying we need to stop taking period pieces and making it present like Outlander. Love it, but you got all this shit and you're staring no, 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 that wouldn't happen. No. This would not happen back in that time. That's what period pieces are. Instead of doing what most of us do and go, hey, we don't have slaves anymore. Good for us. Hey, look how women are part of society and they can vote. Hey. No, you still go, we're still there. Because you don't want to let it go. You make your living virtue signaling. Like the economist. Nice segue. Having children lowers women's lifelong earnings, an outcome known as child penalty. 
Numerous studies have shown that as a group, having children lowers women's lifetime earnings and an outcome known as child penalty. A wide range of individual decisions account for this. Some women work fewer hours, not at all, when their children are young. Others switch jobs that are more family-friendly but lower paying. There's also substantial variation in the size of earning decline, ranging from zero all the way up to 100%. Jesus, fuck. How many guys are doing it right now? That happens. First of all, our next story, a media happy hour, and how could any 60-minute interval spent inside Planned Parenthood headquarters be considered happy? Maybe Planned Parenthood is being extra cautious after showing burned by David Delania and his undercover video showing Planned Parenthood execs haggling over the price of baby parts. But still, some journalists push back against signing non-disclosures before any entering a media happy hour. Among those were Vice's Carter Sherman. Vice is certainly not a conservative outlet, or they shouldn't have been invited. And Sherman included in his piece the Planned Parenthood. He said that the center's videos were deceptively edited. They weren't according to the forensic study admitted as course, a court evidence. But James O'Keefe releases it. Planned Parenthood asked Vice journalists to agree to NDA to attend a happy hour. All you blue checkmark journalists that celebrated David Delayden's jury conviction for his reporting after signing NDAs, you reap what you sow. So they can't even, they don't even trust liberals anymore because they know what was on those videos was true. A California judge played politics. Ian Samuel pretty much subs up the abortion world. Most abortionists in the United States should properly be considered forced abortions. Capitalists putting work, women, working women to coerce choices, get an abortion and gets back to work, or starve to death along with their children. Really. Last I checked, it's called birth control, you fucking dolt. Project Veritas banned for Twitter ads for inappropriate content. Veritas reported that its account on Twitter ads was suspended permanently for inappropriate conduct or content. In a video posted by, to Twitter by James O'Keefe, explained how it was done. A few weeks ago, we tried to do an ad campaign for this recruiting of undercover journalists. While the ad was fine at the time, the Twitter ad teams eventually suspended the ad. The team sent an email dated November 14th to Project Veritas, which was shared with the Media Research Center. It said, we have determined that the following tweet cannot be included in your Twitter ads campaign. The reason was because of inappropriate language. The video that the ad teams linked to reportedly had Twitter's trust and safety policy manager, Olinda Hassan, saying, yeah, that's something we're working on. It's something we're working on. We're trying to get shitty people to not show up. It's a product thing we're working on. So because they quoted a Twitter person saying shitty, they suspended it. It's not the first time Veritas has been censored by Twitter. The official Twitter account was suspended in June 2019 after releasing a video exposing the censorship that Pinterest was enacting against pro-life groups such as Live Action. That, That sounds about right. For stupid, stupid takes, Gabriel Blair, there are far better ways to protect your family than a gun. Get a life insurance policy. Okay. <laughs> You're just admitting, go die. That, that sounds good. 
And because I came up with it, but I don't really have a lot today, I'm still going to play it. Everything's still racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist in 2017. I need you to put on gloves and a face shield because this is a fucking hot take. Vox. In the American imagination, Bonnie and Clyde are always white. The new movie, Queen and Slim, reinvents this doomed love story and challenges viewers to reevaluate how they racialize the runaway lover trope. Everybody in the world. But Bonnie and Clyde were real and they were white. Read a book. Yeah, find a book, somebody. Then there's this outrage. Gabriel Union, thankful for fan support after contentious American Got Talent ouster. I'm going to cliff note this thing. Supposedly, she pissed a bunch of people off. So she was getting the boot. And she decided to drag everything down with her. And pretty much say it was because they were using racial slurs at work. And it was a hostile work environment. I put it in the podcast to frame... Everybody says America's so fucked up and everything's so fucked up. Yet, every time a black person, a woman, a gay person, when things don't go their way, they pull that out and they get money, they get their jobs back, they shame people, they ruin businesses. I mean, for fuck's sake, people, you got a lot of power. I mean, let's be honest. The gay mafia just made Chick-fil-A donate to gay people. Oh, wait a minute. They already were, but, you know, well, I would be fucking half reality here. To our lighter fare, going to play a little soundbite of my favorite show so far in life, World's Dumbest. It's so fucking funny. It's on True TV. If you don't watch it, it is a great hour of TV to waste time and laugh your ass off. Tonight... Every party needs an idiot. But that's so disgusting. That's why we invited these people. See ya, right? Twenty of the biggest morons ever to crash a party. Oh boy. From a party on the run to a party of one. Who doesn't have a staff everywhere, you know? And wait till you see what happens at this wedding party. So sad when the groom comes too fast. Our guest list is crammed with semi-silver celebrities. I've never seen anybody so drunk in my life. Who TV presents World's Dumbest Partiers. And it all starts is underway on Arkansas's Beaver Lake. Well, yeah. You know, I've uh, spent a lot of time at Beaver Lake. A lot of time. Yeah! 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 This is what people do on a boat. I always thought it was orgies and drunkenness. Nope. Line dancing. We 
wasn't the electric slide. If you'd fallen into the water, that could have been fatal. Boogie, woogie, woogie. Tell you, it's worth the watch. It's a great show. Super funny. They have the world's dumbest performers, um, inventions, partiers, and thrill seekers. And they rotate through. I don't think it's a live show. It had like, I want to say like 10 seasons, but... Um, it always plays on True Pete TV, so set your DVR. It's a good time killer. To our This Is America, I'm not going to play the soundbite, because today we're just going to do stories. The first one, new Antifa video game looks as bismal as its politics. And we talked about this, and now I found an article, finally. Vice wrote a glowing review of a video game where players control a Molotov cocktail-throwing activist rebelling against a parody of Trump. Were you looking for the video game equivalent of the Crassstein Brothers cringewilly book titled How the People Trumpled Ronald Plump? Good news. The far left has made a new game just for you. Antifa, the video game, was given a no less than gushing review in Vice's coverage. Antifa, the video game, wants to teach gamers about anti-fascism. Welcome to Drumpfland, where Humple Dumpty rules supreme. Reigning from the thousands of televisions scattered across... Land, Dumpty has deployed his henchmen to imprison swaths of population in an impenetrable darkness. As Antifa, our gas mask wearing Molotov cocktail wielding hero, you know what you must do. Free the people by smashing Dumpty's TVs and crushing, literally, his prison guards by jumping on their heads. Aside from his poor attempt at cute Super Mario World-like aesthetics, how uncomfortably real does this game seem? In July, William Van Sponson, who claimed association with anti-fascists, according to the Washington Post, was fatally shot by police after allegedly throwing incendiary objects at an immigration detention center in Washington State. There we went to it. Yeah. And then it goes on to cover all the stupid shit they've done. But not, they have a video game. So just, just remember that. They have a video game for Antifa. If Antifa was conservatives protesting a Democratic president, they would be the terrorists that they actually are. And if they had a video game, CNN would be outraged. WAPO would front page it. It's just unbelievable. But then HuffPo has our real bad article. not going to read it all. just going to read a little. But it establishes what I've been saying, or exemplifies what I've been saying, how the left hates Christians and how they jump all over them, dog them, and say horrible things, and nobody bats an eye. This is a real article. Blessed are the religious right, for theirs is the presidency of Trump. 
For those outside of Christian spaces, and may seem counterintuitive that Donald Trump, a twice-divorced, ribald, and obscene reality TV star and real estate tycoon, captured the vote of 81% of white evangelical Christians. But to those of us Christians who witnessed the religious right backlash against the Obama administration, the rise of a man who I will call White Jesus is both unsurprising and expected. White Jesus is a work of fiction, a tool that Christians have historically used to seize political power and justify the logic of colonialism and imperialism. Donald Trump is a man made in his very image. Most of us familiar with the particular image of Jesus, a light-eyed, clean-shaven, long-robe-wearing man with flowing hair, Common images of Jesus in the United States depict him as a white man who looked more like Kenny Loggins than a man of color from antiquity. That's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus lived in 1st century AD and was an impoverished Palestinian who spent his life primarily among other impoverished and disenfranchised people of color. White Jesus arrived in America when white people did, and then it devolves from there. It ends with, Trump has become a Christian savior with white evangelicals casting votes and giving alms in the form of political donations at the altar of his false image of God. Trump has and will uphold white supremacy at all costs, and all Christians will have to stand before the real Jesus when he says, whatever you did or did not do for the least of these, you did or did not do for me. That's supposed to be a minister, but he's from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. First and foremost, if anybody wrote anything about Allah, end of days would ensue on Twitter. Secondly, when your candidate is for federally funded abortions, doesn't talk about Christianity, mocks Christians and their evil clinging Bible gun-toting, and calls them all deplorable? Who were Christians or the religious right you speak of to vote for? I mean, once again, we're voters like everybody else. And I'm not saying I'm a great Christian. I I believe, but I'll just say for a second, I'll lump myself in that group. We vote like everybody else. Who's the lesser of the evil? And when your whole brand is, we no longer have gender. Race is a huge issue. All Christians are horrible. America's made on genocide and slavery. We want federally funded live birth abortions. Who the fuck do you think we're going to vote for? That's your platform. That's your whole platform. Gay people... And abortions. What do you expect us to do? I mean, I put this at the end because it was a horrible article, but it's great to put all the other shit in front of it. You shit on Thanksgiving. All the polls are saying more and more people are going, what the fuck is wrong with you people? And your own people are saying, we're really concerned about 2020 because every one of your candidates is an extremist that makes Religious right people not look too extreme now, do they? I mean, you guys 
have gone off the hook. What do you expect people to do? I bet if you lined up a thousand people that would fit in the religious right book that you put in, or category, every one of them knows that this isn't a religious guy. But his policies are more aligned with what they look America to be. And remember, you did such a good job dogging Mormons in 2012, a lot of religious people did not vote. They stayed home. That's how Obama got reelected. And then they saw what Obama did, and now they all come out. It's no different than your far lefties who say that the Democratic Party is conservative they're stuck on fucking mainstream media is all cons- all conservative and biased and they're the Chuck Todds that you know the left is not left enough. They run to the poll anyway because you made Trump to be Satan. But that that article could go out from a mainstream media site that Obama made mainstream. He made HuffPo a real media source. I once again submit. the more and more the left loses, the more they go after people, demonize one religion, say things that are totally not false, and nobody in the media says, well, wait a minute, that's not true. They just let it ride. And I will say, those people are going to go vote for Trump again. The more you do your deplorable shit, the more those people are going to go, fuck them people. I'm not voting for a single one of those lefties because every one of them says I'm an evil person. We've, you know, once again, you say Trump alienates all sorts of people. You guys are alienating way more. Your policies, your statements, you're just crushing people and going, fuck that. Your own base is saying it. The swing vote in 2018 is swinging back and shutting the door. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud pocket attic tune in radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher and pocket cast our next show is going to be the third of december year of our lord 2019 unbelievable i'm saying that the third of december remember to check out our facebook page at fop podcast and our twitter account at fop tony reed enjoy the rest of the time you have with your family this weekend Bro in Oregon, Matt, please be safe driving up. I hope you had a great time, and I hope this podcast keeps you entertained for three hours. Play it slow. Maybe you can get three and a half. And all of you who are tuning in, I want to say I'm very thankful for that. I once again apologize I didn't do the Thanksgiving one, but things didn't go right. But uh, you guys were one of the things I am very thankful for, that anybody would even spend their time listening to me yelling a mic is still something that makes me thankful. So thanks for listening, and make sure you tune in next Tuesday for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Until then, as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Podcast and Twitter account 
Pat Pop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. Thank you.